Justified Season 2 is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. I'm Josh Wiggler. I am joined here by the man who has probably the second sweetest apple pie I've ever tasted, Antonio Mazzaro. Josh, it was already in the jar. It was, the all, glass. It was already in the glass. It was already in jar. the glass. Not the jar. That's why we could drink it and you couldn't. Oh, my God. What a, what a dastardly trick that is. Well, and and it's so great that it's set up so early, right? Because then every time it comes out after that, you're looking for it. I know. Every every time you see Mags pouring somebody a glass of uh, her, her famous apple pie or anytime anybody's drinking that stuff, you got to be worried. You have to yeah, be just yeah. a little bit worried. You got to be worried about the glass at least. It's good that they set that up in episode one because I think that's that's part of the beauty of Mags is that she's kind of this – uh, she, she's a little bit of a, an understated villain in the sense that, like, she really does look like she would hug you just as soon as kill you at this point. Uh, but you might not have gotten that sense if you hadn't seen that at the end of this first episode of season two. Right. And her motivations aren't always they're not always the the dastardly, like totally divided, angry kind of motivations. And sometimes they are or sometimes those motivations are there, but they're guised in some kind of like, I want to take care of your daughter. Or I want to do these things. And they're not always pure rage or anger. And she doesn't necessarily act out of that. Uh, so there's a little bit of a cold blooded aspect to it. There's just there's a lot going on with Mags Bennett. Well, I think that this is a testament to how awesome the Max Bennett character is in this season in general that we're really there's no foreplay happening right now no. Antonio we're just talking about Mags straight out of the gate uh, not even a minute into this thing uh, that's because this season's great and Mags is amazing uh, yeah. I, I feel like you know what what we talked about in the preview show for for Justified and what we started talking about in the season one podcast about how just give it a little more time it heats up it becomes more and more of a serialized story that really comes to a boil here in, in season two yeah and 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 everything really it it does and it there are interesting things that Raylan at the beginning of the first episode of this season he ends up back in Miami and he ends up talking to his old boss and he's wrapping up the end of that uh where we ended and left off with season 1 and he's essentially offered his old job back and he says no Yeah why does he do that why does he decide he wants to stay in Kentucky is it Winona because because we want to have justified season two, three, four and five. Josh. <laughs> is, that, is that the only reason? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I it is an interesting move for that character. And it, it feels like what happens when Raylan gets back to Kentucky is that he left Kentucky with a whole lot of unfinished business. And as soon as some of that old unfinished business comes bubbling back to the surface, I think he probably starts to set about finishing a lot of it. And that's what happens is those things are, that are set to a boil start boiling over. And, and Winona certainly does represent unfinished business. There's no doubt about it. Uh, she's probably more recent unfinished business than some of the things that he left behind when he like, uh, like Dickie Bennett, for example, uh, who is unfinished business from this old beef that generated on the high school baseball field uh, back in uh, when Raylan was a senior or something. So he's just got so much unfinished business in Kentucky that when he sets about starting to finish some of it, I don't think he wants to leave in the middle of it. Right, right. Uh, so let's set this up a little bit. Season two of Justified. It's going to air uh, February to May of 2011. It's the second season of Justified. Uh, I feel like the, the show, you know, it, it had its audience. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily huge. The show never really has an enormous audience, I don't think, but it has a respectable audience. But I think it's season two is when the show really pops 
on the map for people. And I, I think it's, it's very much because it gets some Emmy recognition. Uh, Margot Martindale wins an Emmy award for playing Mags Bennett. Uh, there are Emmy nominations. I believe that there are Emmy nominations for Oliphant, uh, for Timothy Oliphant, I think gets a, gets a nomination for playing Raylan Givens. Walton Goggins gets one for playing Boyd Crowder. Martindale wins as Mags Bennett. And Jeremy Davies is going to be nominated this year for outstanding guest actor, uh, for playing Dickie Bennett. And spoiler alert is going to win, uh, for season three. Uh, so, so things are, things are heating up. And I know for me personally, this is when I was like, oh, I should probably give this justified show a shot. I, I saw the Emmys. I was covering the Emmys that year, I think for MTV. Uh, I was watching that show. She gives this incredible speech, Margot Martindale. She was so shocked to win the award. And I think that a lot of people in the room were, I don't remember who she was up against, but I don't know that there was that kind of heat for the role quite yet. And she gets up there, she wins, she gives this very heartfelt speech. It's like, oh, and she's playing the bad guy of this season? She seems like such a nice lady. So I had to go back and I had, I had to check out this whole show, and that's, that's how I got hooked in. But uh, would you agree, do you think that, that, that was part of, uh, that's part of what made this show pop for, for a lot of you know, people who kind of came to the show after that? I think so. Uh, and I think that during season two, I, I distinctly remember seeing creators of other programming, people like Seth Meyers or Michael Shore, the creator of Parks and Recreation uh, and former writer of Saturday Night Live, The Office, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, tweeting about the show and basically saying, like, this is so Patton Oswalt was tweeting about the show. Like, so a lot before, of the, before he comes on before before Constable Bob yeah. ever made an appearance. Spoiler alert. We'll, so we'll, we'll talk about him later. So at any rate, yeah, these, these people, the, the Twitterati, if you will, the, uh, the intelligentsia of Twitter who were, uh, content creators were tweeting about the show at that time as well. I think that was part of it. Uh, I do think that the, that there were some interesting things going on. Uh, FX was becoming known, I think, to a certain extent for TV shows like this. They, you know, they were, they were kind of establishing their brand, uh, in some ways and, and really kind of popping in that regard. So that was helping John Landgraf who is a longtime president of FX, uh, is a, just kind of a great guy at the Critics Association panels. You always see him and you always hear people talking about how he's sort of in the vanguard of uh, TV presidents or TV creators. And so he was out there stumping pretty actively for it. I think there were a lot of things that led to it. But but I think primarily, like you agree, the, the tipping point was the sort of general public acceptance in the form of these award shows. And I think that was pretty key. A, a show like Battlestar Galactica, for example, a genre show, uh, it's fantastically acted show. Uh, and there's some great uh, there's some great episodes very well made episodes never going to get any recognition because it's seen as a niche show that's not going to rise above the genre but a show it like this kind of that it's called Battlestar Galactica Battlestar Galactica yeah. there are robots that look like toasters the, the silence Yes, they're coming. Um, no, I don't know. We got to be careful. We're going to turn into Bill Cosby, and then all of a sudden, oh, one of us is going to no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Apple, yeah, yeah. apple pie Jello jokes are too easy to make. Or apple pie. They are. Wait, they are. Yeah, yeah, they are. So, at any rate, yeah, I think that I think that was a big part of it. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's talk about this this season overall. So, yeah, they tie up the Florida thing really fast. I think that speaks to our point that by the end of season one, they're like, we're starting to figure out what our show is. Uh, it's the strengths are, are here in Raylan versus Boyd in Raylan versus Harlan and Boyd versus Harlan. And they really wanted to dig into that stuff. And the way that they ended season one was really positioning Raylan up against Florida again. Uh, and so they I think that they pretty much say, let's see if we can fix that before the credits open on season two. And they do, yeah. they figure yeah, it they, out. They wrap it right up. 
Um, yeah. And we, we go for, we go from that into this this incredible first episode of season two, the Moonshine War, and we meet the Bennett. So can you can you set up a little bit about what this season is about and who the Bennett's are? Yeah. So the Bennett's are a family that uh, that has existed in Harlan sort of with the reputation of uh, of dealing in one specific area uh, that is marijuana growing uh, and dealing. And it's sort of an area that a lot of people are taking somewhat of a blind eye to. Uh, for example, Raylan just knows about it. And it's just kind of seen as eh, it's all right. It's marijuana. It's not that big of a deal. It's not what we're looking for. You're not running guns. You're not dealing in heavy drugs. You're just dealing with weed and that's fine. And that's sort of what her business model is. Uh, However, um, the the problem with the Bennett family is that it's full of a bunch of idiots. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Namely, uh, Mags Bennett, of course, as played by Margot Martindale, uh, is fantastic. She is the the matriarch of the family. The father is nowhere to really be seen. And that's all well and good. Uh, However, the son. Do we ever know what happened to her husband? We don't, I don't think, really get a great sense of that. Right. We we just uh, I like we just that. I like we, that it's unimportant. I do too, and and I think that it would. I who who can you imagine out there that could have been married to Mags Bennett? Like it, it, he's either going to be a milk toast kind of guy who's a pushover, or there was eventually probably some great head to head, and he pretty much probably lost and it had to go away. Right. I mean, there's he could either be this extreme alpha male or this, you know really puny beta male right right and if he is an extreme alpha male what he what he ultimately caused mags to be is probably something quite significant uh because she does not back down to anybody for any reason and she's not really afraid of anything so that's really who the bennett's are is this older mother played by margo martindale and mags bennett she has three sons uh the oldest uh is doyle uh and doyle is um doyle is sort of uh He's the police officer. I think he's the local. Is he the local sheriff in Harlan? I think, or he's he's at least uh, involved in major law enforcement. In so Harlan. Th- this actually confuses me. I, I think yeah. they call him. He's the Bennett County Sheriff. Is Bennett County? Is that a, is that different from Harlan? I, yeah, it, it's it's all very confusing because I maybe like a town in Harlan. Yeah, no, Bennett County would be a county, right? So well, I don't know if they say county. I know that he's like the Bennett, the Bennett Sheriff, Sheriff of Bennett, or something like that. Yeah. And the biggest problem with Justified is that Justified uh, takes some things that are real, like Harlan County is a very real place. Uh, and they they mention towns like Benham and Lynch and um, these coal towns that are in southeastern Kentucky that are very real places filled with very real people who are doing very real things uh, like what happened on this episode where they're fighting the mountaintop removal mining. And uh, I've been involved extensively in groups that are working against that cause. So I could tell you all about it if you want to get into it but anyway justified features these very real places but they also like to freelance a little bit so for example uh bennett county is probably if if they're suggesting that it's a real thing it's not uh and it's not a real county now that may be the sort of like uh portmanteau or colloquialism that they're using to refer to some specific area in southeastern kentucky that the bennett's control right and that's entirely possible. If they're like, oh, I'm going to go down to Wigglerville, right? Like that. Dude, that is, Wigglerville is an awesome place to live. Free apple pie for everybody. Nobody gets poisoned. Coming on down to Wigglerville. Uh, lots of pizza pie as well. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're going to have pie in Wigglerville, it would almost have to be pizza pie, it's right? Mo- it's mostly pizza pie. Even the apple pie is actually pizza. <laughs> is it like the dessert pizza? Yeah. Like it has apples on no, it? No, it's a savory apple pie. 
Oh, yeah, it's, re- it's really good. I don't want to give away any secrets. Come on down to Wigglerville. And we'll talk. Come on down to Wigglerville. Oh all God. right. Uh, I, all right. So I just looked this up. Doyle Bennett, Justified Wikipedia. Very useful resource. Uh, <laughs> Doyle is the chief of police of Corbin, Kentucky. I think- okay, so Corbin is a real town. Yeah. Corbin is the Corbin. And I've been to Corbin a few times. Corbin is the birthplace or the hometown of Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's kind of what it's known for. And if you go down to Corbin, Kentucky, but not now, as the genre, but as the actual KFC institute. Yeah, as in like the Colonel Sanders family owned like a hotel and a gas station and he put a little restaurant across from the gas station and uh, then KFC was born. And if you go down in Corbin right now and go kind of off what is now the main drag, which obviously didn't exist at the time, back onto the old beaten path, what you'll find is (laughs) a freestanding KFC. That is uh, that is from the outside. They've got the modern KFC sign, but on the inside, it, it's it's designed like what the old restaurant would have looked like. So you see an old kitchen with all these old appliances. It's sort of a KFC museum. Uh, and even though the menu is exactly the same as the KFC that you'll find in Brooklyn, uh, if there is a KFC in Brooklyn, I honestly don't know. I'm pretty sure there is. There would almost have to be, right? There's absolutely one in Wigglerville. Yes. Well, there you go. Man, Wigglerville sounding better by the minute. KFC pizza. Yeah, you can actually uh, you can actually see the original uh, KFC. It's not the original place, but it's the original location. So Corbin has uh, some very interesting things in it as a result of it. And it it is a town that is kind of prevalent down there in that area. So what you'll hear a lot of the time, people are coming from Harlan County. And I believe uh, I believe Ava mentions Corbin a lot. That's where she works. That's where she cuts the hair. Uh, And it's actually a a fur piece, as we might say, from Harlan Um, on, on I think it's. 25 or 119. I I can't remember exactly how you would get there, but um, it's not exactly close. But, you know, there aren't a ton of jobs in Harlan that aren't, you know, coal jobs or things like that. So um, the people are driving to other areas and Corbin is is kind of a rather big city uh, on the way. Um, The major interstates that cut through Kentucky, Interstate 75 is the main one. It goes all the way down from Detroit, which is why we hear all the time about people coming down from Detroit. Right, right. Uh, and, And it goes all the way from Detroit to Miami. Uh, so it's it's very interesting the way that sort of cuts through the Raylan Givens story. Um, and because 75 is a major throughway there, this is not perfectly true. There are a lot of drugs going up and down 75, just sure. being illegally run and a lot of business that's going north-south that way. And so – it would make sense that uh, these areas around there would be kind of the locus for any kind of crime. When I worked at a, a public defender's office when I was first kind of starting out as a lawyer, um, we would have crimes all the time where people were doing things right off of Interstate 75, uh, whether it was a big drug deal or wherever it was. Um, that, that, that's a town that, that that road cuts through Cincinnati, cuts through Lexington. So it ties all these major places together. Corbin is right on Interstate 75. And so it makes sense that he would be kind of the, the, the marshal or the law enforcement from that area. That said, it's not exactly close to Harlan, Corbin. Right. Um, I think I think yeah. also what throws me off in, in thinking that maybe Bennett was a was a county as well as his family is that his his huge like police truck just has the word Bennett blasted on it. Uh, but I think maybe that's more of a sign possibly of just how these Bennett's puff their chests out uh, and and how big of a deal these guys are. 
Yeah, and we we talked about this on the first episode, whether or not that uh, Justified was a fair representation of Kentucky or not. And there are certainly some things that that are not accurate, like just geographically, physically, whatever. But some of the I mean, obviously, the criminal stuff is over the top in many respects, too. However, uh, I have to point out that there was a recent study released uh, that put Kentucky state government as one of the two most corrupt in the country. I think uh, it was the only one that was in the top five in both corruption categories that the study tracked uh besides louisiana of course so oh my god um yeah i mean that's the the company that kentucky state government is keeping so there is a lot of corruption there are people like uh doyle bennett uh, who are law enforcement or who are uh, elected officials uh we see that happening uh throughout many episodes justified elected officials are corrupt um that's accurate we can't run from that that is happening most of the time it's people like uh black are, pike are, the, uh, are, the, are the elected officials Typically, uh, you know, you're, you're saying there's lots of corruption, uh, so that's realistic between Justified and, and Life. How about their skills as guitar players? Well, some of that might Are be any of them yeah. as good as Doyle Bennett. Well, that see that that is interesting because I think that uh, I think that I've I've not really seen too many legislators or, or elected officials uh, strumming it up. But what I will say is uh, there there just is not a, a, a small town or a holler in eastern Kentucky that you can't venture into where you don't find people who can have a Sunday dinner just like Mags Bennett, uh, who can post up on their porch and who can who can bring in incredibly talented musicians that were, their daddy taught them and their daddy taught them and all the way down the line. Uh, and that is when people say justified is no good for Kentucky in a very silent way. You see things like Boyd Crowder, uh, almost Irish dancing, uh, even though you don't see Walton Goggins doing it because that would be too awesome. Uh, you do see you do see things like that happening all the time. People are a lot more complicated or a lot more complex than you would initially be able to size them up uh, as just being from Appalachia. So there's a lot going on there. So there's probably tons of elected officials who can pick like that for sure. Sure. Uh, so let's 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 talk about the rest of the of the rest of the kids here. We've got Coover and we've got Dickie, and I think that they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, and unfortunately they do. Uh, just a spoiler alert: my mom, uh, my mom, my father is no longer with the family; he's deceased, and uh, and my mom is sort of a Max Bennett type, and uh, I have two brothers. Okay, uh, and I'm in, uh, I'm a legal person. Uh, I've got you know another brother, and I've got another brother. How are you with the guitar? <laughs> I, I I have a ukulele. Does that count? I've uh, I can play guitar a little bit. All I right. know how to play guitar. Well, I hope uh, you don't have any unfortunate run-ins with snipers at any point in your in your future, Antonio. I. I don't want to, yeah. but if it happens, it happens. Okay. You never know what you'll get into. But are, you, are you saying your brothers are a little Coover? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, mainly Coover. Okay. I've got, I've got, a, <laughs> Great. I've got a Coover. When the show was airing, I had a friend of mine, Andrew, uh, who was like, so your mom is Mags and one of your brothers is Coover and you're Doyle, right? Like that's legit. And, oh, uh, man. so that the, the, the Bennett's are pretty funny family uh, as far as my family goes. But, uh, so Dickie is a sort of like, he's kind of the Fredo from the Godfather of the family, right? He's Doyle is the strong law man. He clearly has a family and, and kids and all these things that people care about. He's and, the, uh, he's, you know, forgive the pun. He's the apple of Max's eye. He's the, yes. he's the one that she wants to bequeath the, the whole legacy of the Bennett family to. Yes. And he's the oldest. And then you've got Dickie, who is, I think, the middle uh, child. And Dickie is played by Jeremy Davies is, is sort of this smarmy, weaselly, uh, this guy that just is is kind of pathetic. He's got a very pronounced limp, which we learn that Raylan gave him. 
through some horrible actions in a baseball game where Raylan was really being baited and lost his temper and eventually just went to town on Dickie's leg, causing him Raylan Givens it's, losing his temper. Are you, what I know. are you talking about? You can't. Can you really call it losing it if it's just always yeah, there? He doesn't have one, right? Yeah, temper like like temper your optimism or temper your enthusiasm. In that context, the word means like stamp it down. But right. Raylan Givens' temper is like he, he can't temper anything. Like it's just never tempered. He's like got a no temper temper. Yeah. So yeah. Tempered temper. He's an untempered temper. He, that's exactly what's happened. Uh, all of a sudden, I want shrimp from like Benihana. I don't know okay. why that is. Is that tempura? That's tempura. Oh, God. That's See, also in Wigglerville. Is he? Well, man. So what have we got in Wigglerville so far? We've we got, got ap- savory apple pizza. Savory apple pizza, uh, KFC pizza, and tempura pizza. The tempura pizza and the KFC pizza, are, sometimes people uh, think they taste a little bit the same. We're tinkering with the menu. I want to dial this back. Did you? I didn't realize you indicated that it was a KFC pizza. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it, a, it's like a tribute to KFC on a pizza. Is it like a famous bowl? Like, do you just take all the things and just throw them on the pizza? It's like it's fried chicken, mashed potato, corn. It's like one of those, you know, amazing it, bowls. The sauce, of, the sauce is gravy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! And cheddar cheese on the top. Are you mayor of Wigglerville? Yeah, kidding. Oh, me. I was going to want to be. And mayor. in Wigglerville, mayor means intergalactic president. <laughs> I thought Mayor was like Mayor McCheese. I thought we were just like uh, I thought maybe you uh, you were just sort of food based mayor. No, no, no. I'm in charge of everything. Well, that's crazy. Yeah, All right, we'll great. talk more about Wigglerville as we go along. But yeah, that uh, that Dickie Bennett, he's he's really he's like like I said, he's like the Fredo Corleone. It's like he's just a little bit weak. He's perceived as weak. Everybody kind of sees him that way, and he's not happy about it. He's not happy that he's seen that way, and he has issues with that. And he keeps time with his youngest brother, Coover. Coover is, by all accounts, sort of just half wit. Right? He's not really got it all going, but he's sort of an idiot savant in that he is a fantastic cultivator of marijuana. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. So so Doyle is kind of that extreme alpha male type that we could imagine what his father could have been like uh, in, in one hand. Doyle is somebody who's like super, super confident, capable, has a good job. We hear that he has a family, he has a wife, he has children. He's the one that Mags wants to put her future into. You see that in Doyle. Uh, you see with, with Coover that he is, he's, He's an alpha male in his own right. He's a big, dumb idiot, but he is just this super genius with pot. He he knows how to grow the stuff. He knows how to cultivate the stuff. He certainly knows how to smoke the stuff. Uh, he's a, he's an absolute genius with, with that stuff. And then you've got Dickie, who I think we could we could look at as that beta male type that we were talking about of of who the other of the other type that that Mags could have been married to, where he's kind of just a little bit. He's a little bit weak-willed. He wants to be stronger than he is. He has a certain potential cap, I think. Uh, and he lacks, you know, he's he might not be as dumb as Coover, but he's not as talented either. So he is like very, 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 very middle of the road. Uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting spectrum with these three. Yeah, yeah. And they... They each have their own talents and and problems inherent with those talents, and they each have their own problems and inherent with those problems. Uh, they each lead to different things, of course. Um, Doyle is corrupt, and that that is obvious. But he's not so corrupt that he is is suborning all sorts of crimes, uh, like we maybe saw the sheriff on the first season uh, that that gets turned and uh, that goes against Raylan. We uh, Rayland. Uh, is it Raylan or Rayland? We, I, did we ever settle that? I think I think people sometimes call him Rayland. 
Listen, Rayland. Yeah, just like well, I appreciate that, Rayland. Yeah, well, I, it depends, I guess, if you're a realtor or not. Yeah, it depends. So anyway, yeah, the, the, he's not exactly the most criminal of people, but of course he's he's looking out for his family's interest more than the interest of Corbin, uh, and that may be why he throws Bennett on the side of his car. Like, let me tell you who I'm really all about exactly. is Bennett, not yeah. not Corbin. So yeah. that's what's really going on. Uh, like I, like I said, it's really confusing because I, I think Corbin and Harlan are, up, uh, are over sixty miles exactly how far. I'm sure the internet could, but they they're not exactly close and. Um, um, but uh, there are people that live in these areas that go to different areas to work. So it, it certainly stands to reason that that Doyle could be doing one of those things as well. Dickie and, and Coover don't work. They grow weed. They run the weed business for mags. And the weed business is very important to the Bennett's, as we see almost immediately in the first episode. Yeah. Uh, and so how does how does Raylan get back onto their radar? It's all, it's all because of Loretta, right? He He's looking into the fugitive who has a thing for Loretta. Yeah, there's a there's a and I guess we should say who Loretta is as well. Yeah, so there's a sex offender that is that is kind of poking around, and and what happens is ultimately Mags, as I said, Mags Bennett and the Bennett family they run this marijuana, they grow it down there, they do everything that they can do with that down there. The first episode, the Moonshine War, introduces us to Walt McCready, and Walt has a daughter named Loretta. Walt is ultimately kind of a small time marijuana farmer. He is somebody who's just kind of a a local guy, uh, and he's kind of branching out by deciding he's going to grow some marijuana as well. And the Bennett's are quickly sniff that out. They're quickly on to that kind of plot and plan. Uh, and I believe that they send this guy who's a, a criminal element guy down there to talk to him. And he's really kind of keyed into Loretta because he's a sex offender. Uh, Loretta is what, 13 years old, 12 she's years young. old. She's yeah. Young. I mean, yeah, she acts young. older than she is, but she's young. Yeah. So that 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 is kind of where that pops off is this creep is sent down there. James, um, James Earl Dean. Never, James, never trust a man with three first names. I completely agree. That's a really good rule of thumb, by the way. No offense to anybody with three first names who is listening to this. But if I were you, I would add a fourth first name at least or take yeah. one away or take one away, I think, is the key. I mean, I think that's I the think key. you could overdo it. I think you could go to four. But, yeah, I, but a, I think there's something about that three. You don't want that three first names. Yeah. So so anyway, that this guy, James Earl Dean, is there uh, and and he's just out of prison and, and kind of on the way uh, into prison again because he is really creeping on young Loretta. And this is unbeknownst to anybody except for uh, it is soon dis- discovered. And that's kind of what the thrust of the first episode about is about. But the real meta story in the first episode is. Mags knows via this guy that uh, Mr. McCready, Loretta's father, uh, is involved in in the weed business and he shouldn't be. Uh, And as a result, uh, what happens is Mags decides that she's going to take him out. Right. And, and I think it's also because he calls he, he calls like some tip line. He calls he calls he some, calls a tip line about the sex offender, though. Right. I know. But like it like that's crossing some sort of line for her as well. It's like you don't you don't involve the cops ever. Yeah. And, and she probably would have preferred that he call her to deal with that. Right. That he call Mags because right. Mags sees herself as sort of the person responsible. Local for law enforcement. Right. But he can't call her because he is intruding on her. He's he's kind of intruding on her business and he doesn't want her involved. And to be fair, he calls the tip line anonymously. He, he thinks it's anonymous. Uh, but of course, it's not, unfortunately for him. Yeah. So he drinks a uh, laced cup of apple pie and spends the rest of his days decaying in a mine shaft. 
Yeah, uh, Max kills him, uh, and she kills him in a sort of very personal way, right? She invites him over. They're going to talk, and then she basically says, um, hey, uh, I've, I got news for you, and he starts to kind of seize up, and he's looking around the room like, why am I the one seizing up? And that's when she gives the famous line that we already leaned into, which is what it was already in the glass, not the jar. And at what's by it, of course, she's talking to some kind of like um, mountain poison that she's made all these. She goes into detail, like very cold blooded, talking about exactly how the poison was made. It was made with everything from these mountains. And I got all these things and all these things involved. And she holds his hand while he's seizing up and dying and looks him right in the eye. And she you get the impression, though. And I don't know, Josh, I'm interested in what you're thinking here. How much of that do you think was that Mags always wanted a daughter and she knew that by killing him, she could get Loretta? I think that's a it's a piece of it. You know, I think that that's something that we can we can talk about just generally with with Mags. We've talked about how she's such a strong type. Uh, she's so determined. She's so fierce. She's fiercely loyal to her family. I think you've just touched on the fact that she's fiercely loyal to her roots until she's got some money that might be more important to her when it comes to taking care of her family. Uh, but you know, she she's got all of these these various different strengths. You know, you can call her ruthlessness a strength. I think you know it's also a terror terrifying thing but it's a strength um but i think she also like the rest of the bennett's as we will see in in exploring the rest of these characters is that she's a little overconfident she overreaches sometimes uh and with loretta i think it's a real overreach and she underestimates the strength of loretta mccready who is this you know young girl 13 or, or so not not much older than 14 or 15 i would say who is uh just incredibly strong incredibly strong willed uh takes no bullshit from anybody holds her own with raylan often spits one-liners back out at raylan uh, and is observant, is very smart, puts together that the Bennets killed her father. Uh, and that becomes a huge thorn in the side for someone like Mags. Uh, so I think that there are times when she just overreaches with the whole Pike deal that's going to come down the line. So I think with, with Loretta, I think bumping off her father might be because she does want a daughter and she does want to take Loretta in. I mean, I think it's it's dual purposes. I think that there's some sort of like, I have to kill Loretta. Yeah, she does give him the you never go outside. Right, kind of thing. right. So like I have to kill him just because that's the code. Uh, I have to kill him because he's competition. And if I kill him, I get to inherit his daughter. But she never really has a good answer for how to explain where Loretta's father is. She's like, oh, I sent him down for some business. Well, what's she going to say in like, you know, two months when when uh, Mr. He's Kirby not back. Returns? Yeah. So, you know, she I think that. There, there is some level of genius to Mags, and there's a lot of strength in Mags, but she overreaches a little bit, and I don't think that she always quite sees the full picture, or at least she kind of has this feeling of invincibility. It's this, it, it's this idea that we're the Bennets. Nothing can take us down. We're the Bennets. And I think a lot of what ends up taking down the Bennets is that overconfidence. Yeah, and I think it's also it's her weaknesses are are emotional, uh, and not in yeah, the sort yeah. of stereotypical um, feminine way uh, that that a poorly written show would really focus on. Uh, more in the kind of like um, she's at a stage of her life where she's thinking about her legacy, um, wondering what she'll leave behind, and wondering whether it will be something great or something uh, that is just a, the, the marijuana business or what it is. She's thinking about her, her her kids, her failures, her foibles, and I think she sees in Loretta an opportunity to do something that she hasn't done. And I think the other the uh, the other aspect that you meant 
that with the Black Pike deal, she sees the ability to go from like a, a criminal who ultimately has a criminal enterprise and has all of that kind of taint and that to worry about to sort of someone with legit money that took their criminal enterprise and everything they gained from that and flipped it into something that they can use and, and keep. I mean, the, the Black Pike deal is supposed to make her about $3 million, I think. And that's the sort of money that allows you to do allows you to do whatever you want. Right. Yeah. It's a game changer. So I think those are the weaknesses is that she's thinking about her legacies in that regard. And not, they're not, they're not selfish. Uh, they're, they're just the sort of weaknesses someone her age might have, not, not necessarily someone her, of her sex or, or anything like that. And I, and I do appreciate that about the show is that her weaknesses are, are human uh, and they're understandable uh, and they're motivated. I don't think by anything that is nefarious or dastardly uh, in that respect. Uh, she's not someone like Iago uh, from Othello who's just purely motivated by some sort of criminal uh, or, or evil intention no, uh, when we'll, she takes we'll out see, Mr. McCree. We'll see someone like that next season. <laughs> yes, we will, right? Yes, we will. And, and that, that is fantastic. Uh, we'll get into that. But um, yeah, with Mags Bennett, I think it's, it's more realistic. And I think that that sort of complexity to the character, the character who can give uh, a speech later in the season about the spoil. And I, and I don't know how the guest actor Emmys work. Uh, did she, does she submit a specific episode? I Do you know that? that? She, I think she won supporting actress. Okay. So she yeah. would have submitted a specific episode. It almost had to be that one. Oh yeah. I mean, the whole spoil speech is incredible. Right. So this is this is just somebody who has real emotion in her, even though that speech is definitely made to protect herself and not necessarily uh, the town. She can tap into things like that. She can sing on her porch and, and, and have a real emotion to it. Uh, and it'd just be so cool. So I love that Mags Bennett is so complex. I also really love an ongoing way, the complexity of Boyd Crowder. Are you ready to talk a little Boyd? I'm always ready to talk a little Boyd. Well, what what do you make of Boyd Crowder at the beginning of this season? We we see Boyd Crowder the first time we see him, he is emerging essentially from a mine, all dirty, all dirtied up, and he's coming out into daylight. He's working an honest and horrible job. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting journey for Boyd. So I, you know, going back to season two, it'd been my first time in a while revisiting these episodes. I was kind of wondering, well, I know that Boyd is going to get back into crime, of course, because that's the direction that the show is going in. But I don't I didn't remember exactly how. And I remembered the whole thing with like the heist at the mine and how Boyd kind of, you know, he, he suckers those guys who are trying to sucker him. Uh, and, and I remembered all of that, but I thought that him kind of turning back to a life of crime was a little more reluctant than it ends up being. But it does start out that way. I, I think when we first see Boyd this season, or, or one of the very first times we see Boyd is when he's emerging from that mine, I think that he's, he's fucking angry. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he had his whole, you know, religious movement. He really, he really believed in his born again nature. Uh, he gets everybody killed with his righteousness. You know, he gets all of his flock killed by his father. He doesn't have anything that he can take out on his father because his father gets killed. Uh, and I think that there's just a lot of pent up unresolved anger issues that are going on with Boyd. And it's conflicting with this idea that, you know, I, I think I, I, you know, like he, he feels like he does want to change, or at least that was the path that he was on. And, and it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like an addiction. He's, you know, he's resisting this idea that he is a criminal. It's not my nature. It's not who I am. It's not who I want to be, but he starts getting small slices of it back. Uh, when he gets offered this, this plan to, to, you know, 
to heist all of these, you know, to, to rob all this money from, from, uh, from the mine, from the coal mine. And he, you know, he uses his criminal genius, uh, to, to good use for him. Very bad use for a few guys who get blown out of the sky. Uh, and he, I think once he gets that taste back, it's kind of like, I'm good at this. I'm, you know, reluctantly good at this. Maybe I can, I can start making some positive changes with my, with my criminal mastermind acumen. Uh, but I think that this is who I am and this is kind of who I have to be. So it, it, there is a reluctant aspect of Boyd returning to a life of crime. I think it's pretty natural. I, I, it feels, it feels very earned for me. Well, and, and I think that's all, I think that's all really eloquent way, um, to address, uh, something that I, I, I kind of wondered as well. And, and this is something I want to track more as we progress through seasons three, four, and five on a rewatch is sort of the arc of Boyd Crowder and, and what his motivations might be. Because one of the things I like about Justified is that there are consequences to actions. Uh, there are emotional consequences to actions and there are narrative consequences to actions. So for example, uh, when we begin at the beginning of season two, uh, the first time we meet Arlo, Arlo is, is on uh, house arrest because at the end of season one, Arlo was kind of state's evidence against um, Bo Crowder, Boyd's father. And got a bunch of money from the feds uh, to try to, you know, cut a deal to set up Bo Crowder. And then the money is gone. <laughs> Where did it go? Nobody knows. Right. Arlo, Arlo's kind of playing dumb about it. He's been kicked out of the house. Uh, he's having issues with his tether. Uh, yeah, there, because there he's living in a trailer. Because he's living in a trailer the house just outside. Off. Right. <laughs> sets right. Off the alarms. So Arlo's fantastic, but he's in a season. Of, he put himself in a position at the end of season one. And when we find him in season two, he's still in that position. Boyd had all those things happen in season one. And so when we find him in season two, he's sort of a man uh, at a crossroads and trying to figure out what he wants to do. And the really interesting thing to me that happens with Boyd at the beginning of season two is with Ava. Yeah. Uh, he he is he has been living with Ava because he doesn't really have anywhere else to go. I got and, no place else to go. Come on, man. Yeah. I got no place else to go. Could have come to Wigglerville. Gotta, he could have come to Wigglerville. I mean, now if Wigglerville has apple pie pizza, KFC pizza, uh, and I'm trying an apple, I'm trying to remember the tempura app, pizza, tempura pizza, and Boyd Crowder, I'm moving. I mean, I love Kentucky, but I'm moving. You're invited. You're all invited. Everyone's invited. Coming on down to Wigglerville. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boyd living with Ava is an interesting development for sure. It's and, very interesting. And develops in even more interesting ways. Yeah, and, and the, the funny thing is he's sort of soft to it. He's reading of human bondage by Somerset Mom, and he's listening to, you know, angsty emo type music. And he's very much being this sort of interesting stranger uh, in her life. And even though she's been married to and murdered his brother, uh, killed his brother, I should say, in self-defense, um, there there's a lot of very interesting tension between the two of them uh, that develops. And I do wonder how much of Boyd's turn to criminal enterprise is in some way influenced by Ava entering into his life. Not for anything that he wants, but just because that's what happens. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I think, I don't know, I think that he wants to be a provider for her. Uh, you know, he, he wants to, he, I think that there's a lot of family guilt and a lot of family burden that he feels. And, you know, it's something that Ava mentions in the very first episode of Justified when she tells Raylan, oh, Boyd doesn't want to come and kill me. Boyd wants to come to bed with me, you know, and I, I think that there, there was truth to that from the very beginning. 
Uh, I think that there's, you know, a sense of duty that Boyd feels to, to his late brother's wife. And I think it starts to develop into legitimate feelings as the more and more time that he spends with her. And after he's able to provide her with a certain amount of money, uh, you know, from, from this one operation from, from the, the whole mine job, um, I think that he really, he feels like I gotta continue providing for her. And I think that he, he finds in her this real sense of family that at this point in time he's really desperately needing, even as much as he kind of loathes certain members of his family. And I think that he says, this can be the new Crowder regime. We can do it different this time. Yeah, and I think that's right. And I, I think that that does motivate him slightly. Um, the interesting thing about the mind score, of course, is that when he's first approached by the, the idiot, uh, the, the goofy dude at the mine, um, he is not somebody who he doesn't want to participate with the guy uh, he, and to the point where the guy approaches him at his truck after after Boyd's blown him off a couple times and Boyd throws him into the side of the truck, holds him down and starts driving and then pushes him away out of basically the moving vehicle. Yes. Uh, and that, that is a great how much scene and he just starts like screaming as he keeps driving. Yeah, because he doesn't he really is conflicted about this. He doesn't want to do it. And even then later, when he's essentially forced into doing it, when the guy uh, sort of approaches him with a gun and kind of really says, you're basically doing this or we're going to kill you or we're going to come at you, whatever. Um Boyd is kind of reluctant and he is using Ava um, unbeknownst to her kind of unwittingly to play a role in these things. Right. He, he, write, he writes a note that says at this particular time, call this phone. And it's a setup ultimately um, for him to get the drop on them during the heist and kind of get away from the situation, blow them up, uh, put himself in a position where he's uh, kind of escaped and looks like a hero. He, and she's, she's pissed about it. She's very pissed about it. Right. Because that that had not been their relationship and he was not the criminal. He had kind of left it behind. He was sitting in his room, reading his Bible. She and made that. the rules. The rules were like any criminal activity and you are out. Right, right. So all of this is very, very, uh, it just, it's very complex, the Boyd Crowder story. And and why I want to track it, and, and if you're watching it for the first time or if we're rewatching it, why I want to track it is I, I still, all this time later, I I don't know that I've formulated a mind where I can say for certain that Boyd's conversion at the end of season one was or was not legitimate uh, or what elements of it there were to having daddy issues and wanting to get back at his father. Like where where did the, the truth really lie in that kind of conversion? Because. Here he's like, oh, I'm just going to build a revival camp in the woods and we're just going to do these things. But yet the camp is full of guns, right? Uh, such that they're hiding and they're hiding from the marshals and they're clearly up to something that isn't just religious. But he is blowing up meth trucks because he thinks it's poisoned. So right. he says, right. On the other hand, they're meth trucks that would help his father uh, and people that he might have another issue with. So that's all season one stuff. But I think some of the same conflict with Boyd plays out in season two. At the beginning, he's in the mine, right? And he doesn't really want to be criminal. And he, Raylan comes and kind of yells at him because at the beginning, beginning of season two, if you'll remember, we still have the spoil, the leftovers from season one. And, uh, and it's, it's the left. I I knew we were going to, I knew we were going to say that. I knew we were going to get there. I knew that was going to happen. There's a leftovers pizza in Wigglerville. Um, That doesn't sound nearly as enticing. You you order it and it shows up at your table. And then when you turn away, you only have two slices left. But is it like cold? Does it show up cold? Yeah, it's really, really depressing. <laughs> is it a Mapleton pizza? It is. Oh, that sounds actually kind of good. It's not bad. 
Is it, it's not pizza at its best, though. No, no. Oh, okay, it's not. <laughs> just checking. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's some leftovers from season one on the table when he first shows up. He's he's dragging one of the gun thugs to a plane, wanting to kill her ultimately and tracking her down. Uh, and Raylan shows up and and stops Boyd from doing it, of course. And then Raylan at the end of episode one, I think, or the beginning of episode two, somewhere in season two, at the beginning, meets up with Boyd and tells Boyd like, "Stay out of trouble." And Boyd's like, I, "I'm working at a mine. I don't want trouble. Right. Like, I just want to be left alone." And I think that might actually be true. I think it is true, and I actually kind of think that um, Raylan. When when Raylan shows up and kind of gives Boyd a little bit of attitude about the whole thing, I don't think that's helpful. Right. Uh, I th- I think that you know Boyd says this very poignant thing to Raylan at the end of season one. Uh, I trust that you're not going to shoot me because you're the only friend I've got left in this life. Uh, and I think that there's an element of Boyd that really does believe that. I think that he I, I think that he's seeking some approval from Raylan or at least some like I can change. Please recognize that I can change. And when Raylan doesn't give that to him, I think that really causes Boyd to to start embracing some of the doubts that he's probably already feeling. I don't think that Raylan's lack of confidence in Boyd is helpful in any way. I think it's pretty damn harmful. Yeah, and 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 that is it's it's self fulfilling really- prophecy because Raylan always wants Boyd to be this criminal. He wants to be right because Raylan never wants to be wrong about anything. Raylan's never wrong about anything. He well, wants, and I- he wants he wants you know to be proven right that Boyd really is this criminal dirtbag that he thinks he is. And I think in his in his like you know conviction that Boyd is this guy, I think he partially wills this guy out of his shell and and back into into the into the world of crime. Yeah. And I I think that that if you want to dig deeper on that, it's these guys were two sides of the same coin. They both had criminal fathers. They both grew up together. They both dug coal together. They were friends. They were really just very similar guys. And then they made slightly different choices in life. Uh, And and Boyd has his military experience and Rayland decided to join run away and join the Marshal Service and kind of push against his father. Uh, And and Boyd did not become the opposite of his father. Uh, but he became sort of this this amalgam of so many different things. Uh, some of the stuff he picked up overseas, some of the stuff he was clearly intelligent. And so he didn't leave that behind. And I think that it, it validates Raylan to a degree to see Boyd as just a criminal, uh, because that can make Raylan feel like he's just a lawman yes. instead of saying that, oh, there is shades of gray with Boyd. He's not necessarily a bad guy, which means you're not necessarily a good guy. Right. Like maybe there's some bad about you. And so I definitely think that that is a huge aspect of the two of them and why Raylan is never willing to cut Boyd to break. I mean, earlier uh, later on in season two, right? I think it's in episode three or four. There's a, a robbery of an oxy bus. Basically just kind of, we were talking about interstate 75. We were talking I about, I think it's like early middle of season two, but yeah, I know the yeah, answer. I think it's like episode three or yeah. maybe it's episode four and in Raylan and, and art both immediately suspect Boyd when they, when they find these people that are dead and there's a bus uh, immediately. It's like, oh, Boyd did it. It you looks know? like Boyd's M.O. Yep, Boyd did it. This is Boyd. And it wasn't Boyd, right? Yeah, and so Raylan comes to Boyd and, and pushes him on this. This is basically the conversation I'm talking about. Right, right, where, right. Where he comes to, to Boyd. Boyd is just slow drinking whiskey in a bar, as he does these days. Uh, he's kind of nursing a little bit of a habit, probably pretty unhealthily. Uh, and he basically says, was this you? And Boyd's like, it, you know, it wasn't me. Uh, what do you, what do you think? It wasn't me. Uh, and Raylan's like, I don't know. 
uh, and really, you know, showers him with some doubt. And I don't think that's good. Yeah, and I, I I thought you were talking about the the first. I think that he has a similar conversation with him at the beginning of the or near the beginning of the first episode, and um, he just he continuously undercuts Boyd exactly. uh, and and continuously puts him in a position where he's unable to. And I think that is a problem with anybody seeking to kind of. Uh, kind of get beyond things like that is that they their past is always going to put people in positions of judging them for their actions and i think that 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 boyd's definitely struggling with that that said ava ava is like like you said she's sort of an anchor where she's not uh she's not planning a flag and saying boyd's a bad guy and she's actually in that episode i think she turns raylan onto dewey crow and says it was dewey crow that did it yeah yeah well, a- Ava, like Boyd, I think, you know, she's, she's, uh, she's lost a lot, you know, on, on his good days, Bo Crowder, you know, I, I think that she, she cared about him at one point in time. Uh, or is it Bo or Bowman? Bowman Crowder. Bowman yeah. Crowder, her, her late husband. You know, there were, there were times when she said that he was sweet, not enough to outweigh the inevitable outcome of that relationship, but, you know, she, she had this very fiery trauma. Uh, she, found you know some sort of hope and and possibility for 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 greatness in what looked to be to her a relationship with Raylan which Raylan probably really viewed mostly as lust with a little bit of well I like this girl and I want to make sure that she's okay but not the great love of his life and maybe for her she looked at it as that could possibly be the situation that's developing for me that gets yanked away from her, from her in what she perceives to be a pretty cruel way when she witnesses Raylan has very clearly slept with Raylan's ex-wife Winona at the end right. of season one right. so I think she's feeling really scorned and spurned and angry and confused and lost as well uh and even though she says to boyd like i don't want this you know i don't want any any of your criminal activities coming anywhere near me my life my house any of this uh and and she gives into it because i think these two are very angry wounded souls who are driven into each other's arms um and actually i think what might be an interesting conversation to have is how authentic are the feelings uh, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, it, it's 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 kind of like, uh, you know, and love love comes in all shapes and sizes. It comes from all different places and in, in, in all ways, shapes and forms. Uh, it, it's a it's a tough thing to question. It's probably best not to question it most of the time. Um, but is this is this a healthy relationship? It's a romantic relationship for sure. The Boyd and Ava love story is romantic as hell, but are these two people as they're finding each other right here in this moment? Is it healthy? That's something to track as well. I think. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's very true. I mean, and this is not to play on stereotypes, but Ava is a victim of domestic violence and she, she is very, she's a very strong and tough woman. She's put up with a lot and she clearly had had enough and, and she's kind of flippant about it in season one when she says to Raylan like, oh, well, he just said this is what was going to happen and I told him never again. So I shot him in the chest. Oh, it took me a while to clean up his blood. Yeah. Uh, but here we are. Here's dinner for you. And it's kind of like. She just went through this horribly traumatic experience, and to think that she wouldn't be psychologically or emotionally affected by it is, I think, silly. And I think that she might think that, and she might be putting up a tough front, but I think she describes in season two the Boyd situation to Raylan early on as like, he's the only kin I have, and I need help paying with my rent. Right. And it's like, no, that's the reason he's there. No other reason. And maybe that's true At the time. early on, or maybe she's telling herself that. But the upshot is... um, 
And that that Boyd Crowder, when he he's not he's not even playing hard to get. He's just sort of slow playing it, uh, listening to like I said emo music and reading and being the kind of man that I'm sure Bowman Crowder never was. Uh, it's very intriguing to to Ava. And uh, even then, when he does bring criminal elements into the situation, when he involves her by calling her cell phone later on in the middle of season two uh, and involving her in the mind situation, uh, her lines are already drawn. She's all in at that point. And uh, he in, also treats her with. Respect. And, yes, you know, exactly right. Uh, again, unhealthy because we're talking about some pretty dark stuff. You know, the, the things that he wants to do and the, the, the crimes that he's committed and, and plans to commit. Um, but with, within that context, he treats her with respect. He looks at her as, you know, if not quite an equal, then certainly as a strong voice in the room. You know, I think he thinks I'm, I'm the guy. You know, if we're going to be doing this, I am the number one. Everybody else is is, you know, subordinate, but she's, you know, next on the totem pole, in his opinion. Uh, And that's a a much more progressive way of looking at Crowder crime than anybody else in that position has has uh, had before, probably. And certainly that Ava has encountered. Yeah. And 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 at the end of the whole criminal uh, act with the mine, what he does with the money is he gives it to her to pay for her house. Exactly. Right. You know, and that is protecting Again, her, like you said, that's it's respecting romantic. her, romantic, protecting her, all of the things that Bowman never did. And um, I, I think there was a, that in that it's part of that conversation. Ava's like, why do you keep committing these criminal acts? And he says, it's what I do. You know, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm I think I think he actually says what you were summing up there earlier, which is he says something to the effect of like, I was trying to be something different and everybody but me knew the truth that I was actually just this dirty guy. Self-fulfilling um, prophecy. Yeah. And that, that so that's exactly right. I think that that's a big part of it. And and I think that's really interesting to track with with Boyd as we as we see going forward is how does he embrace that or what what aspects of that prophecy does he self fulfill? Um, where does he go? Because you know the part of what I think what happened with that crime was I think Boyd does live by a code to a certain extent. He got really kind of taken aback when the guy Kyle, his coworker, as part of the mine heist, was saying, "Hey, we're going to kill this guard Shelby, uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna frame him up. We're gonna essentially make it look like he did the robbery, and we're gonna kill him." And uh, Boyd it flips the switch completely and saves Shelby's life, uh, and Shelby will then bail Boyd out uh, of the situation and. Boyd can go scot free because he saved the life, and he kills the guy, the guys who didn't. So it's all very interesting. And 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 Boyd then goes and he becomes sort of this muscle, or I wouldn't even know what to put it, like a kind of an operator for the Black Pike Mining Company. He yeah. becomes this local fixer that that's going to help them do business, which is very interesting. You know, that's that's kind of a that, that's interesting because it's like it's it's I don't I don't think that when he agrees to take that job, I don't think he's thinking, well, I have a way to really benefit from this deal. I think it develops. I think once he's in that door, he starts to realize it. But it, it comes at, you know, th- they say that, you know, opportunities in life, you really it's a, a lot about timing. You know, it's, it's about things coming along at the right time. Uh, he has just pulled off this mine job. He is now being asked by Black Pike to to serve as some form of protection, uh, to serve as some form of security. He knows he knows Harlan County, so let's let's use this guy. And now that he is in this position, now that it's so fresh from him committing this, you know, big big caper, 
that ended with the deaths of several individuals at his hands, he is, I think, he's ready. He's ready to, to seize an opportunity that, that, that comes his way, that presents him with, the, with this chance to, to make a, a lot of money, to make a lot of money for somebody else in a position of power, to forge an alliance that way, and to become the king of Harlan in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I, I do think this is the genesis, really, uh, of Boyd clearly working angles. Um, when we talk about season one and not being sure if he was working an angle uh, with his father or what the angle was, he's clearly working an angle with Black Pike. And I think when he sees the opportunity to make a bunch of money and become the king of Harlan or whatever it is, he's never just looking at uh, whatever. I think the actress' name is is it Rebecca Kreskoff. I can't remember the character's name. I, he, the Black Pike mind lady. He never is totally on board with her just planning his life for yeah, him. Uh, Carol Johnson. Carol Johnson. He's never totally on board with Carol Johnson just planning his life for him. Uh, he is on board with using what she wants to do with him to his own benefit. And he's always working an angle. And that's what he does in this season. He brokers a deal with uh, Arlo uh, for some of the land, but in a way that only Boyd's going to benefit from this if it goes down. Uh, and sort of against the interests of Black Pike Mining. And really kind of at the ultimate uh, sadness or anger of Carol Johnson. So Boyd's working an angle from the jump, I think on that one when he's kind of like oh she's interested in me i'm not sure why let me feel out what she's interested in and let me see how i can make this work for me uh that's when he's really starting to operate and i think that's the boyd crowder we see a little bit more going forward without going into any details from future seasons is he's more of a kind of self-aware operator and not somebody who's trying to operate and say i'm trying to be straight and narrow or i'm trying to be good and upright he's kind of saying well i'll, I'll take advantage of what you think i can be or what you think I'm doing and I'll use it to my benefit. So I think that's really interesting uh, with Boyd in season two. Um, less interesting, I think, <laughs> is I know one of your least favorite episodes of Justified. You mentioned in season one, uh, this episode with Rachel's family, with Rachel's brother-in-law. Right. Is that, That's for blood or money, right? That's for blood or money. Yeah, you know, that's episode four. It's just I just don't think it works. You know, it's not like I hate the episode. Uh, you know, it also it features. Oh, my God. I'm blanking on on his name right now. The name of the actor, uh, Chadwick Boseman, who is going to be the Black Panther for Marvel, uh, is in this episode. So I, I I appreciated that on the rewatch, seeing that he's the he's the 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 gangster who wants to be a magician who gets shot in the hand. Yeah. Uh, so that that guy's your next Marvel superhero, everybody. That's uh, crazy. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He's a great actor. He's really tremendous. Um, maybe not so great in this episode, but I think that's more of an account of the writing. I just think it's not, it's not, it's not great. I think that justified is we're now at a place where when, when the seasons are well-defined, when this is the season of the Bennett clan and uh, you know, the Crowder clan reemerging and Raylan finding himself drawn deeper and deeper into caring about what's going on in Harlan and everything with, with the idea of mining for coal and, and what that might mean for Harlan. There's just so much more, interesting stuff on the table than these one-off episodes. And I think that the Marshall Service characters, they really suffer for it. And I think Rachel especially, for Blood or Money, is the episode where she is, you know, she has to find her brother-in-law who uh, killed her sister in in a in an intoxicated driving accident. Uh, and he he's, like, on the run from his halfway house. And it's just, you know, it's it's just kind of an episode that's there. Uh, you know, there's there's probably stuff in the episode that's important in terms of the the ongoing 
Harwin story that I can't think of off the top of my head. Otherwise, you know, I would probably say you can you can skip this one. You don't have to watch this episode. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's it's rare the further along we get in Justified where I would say there's one that you could probably skip. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting for me as we pick up in in the final season here. Um, I'm not sure if this will be an episode that they're glad they had in their pocket or not. Uh, as we recall, what the what the kind of summary of Rachel was is that she was perfect. She was lined up to be the next marshal or the next head of the office. And she was the best person Art had on staff when Raymond showed line. up. Front of the line. Uh, and so I do think that characterizing her is not it's not a waste but you're right the show is sort of show sort of moves on i mean there is story of the week stuff in this first season there's the the story about the the woman from the woman's prison who's pregnant and the corrupt guard who got her pregnant and how that all plays out with the baby and everything like that there so there are one-off stories that that occur however I, I, if i if i remember correctly because i remember i watched that episode pretty closely um yeah, there isn't a ton that happens in the the general Harlan storyline or the Boyd storyline or the that Bennett storyline. This is story where, where Boyd uh, he he starts to to agree to be a part of uh, the the big operation that's going to take place in the next episode, Cottonmouth. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think also the 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 kind of hints that you get from Mags in this episode are that they have some bigger scheme in mind, um, and that having Raylan Givens going on asking questions about oxybuses and things like that uh, is no good, uh, because the of course the the oxybus uh, was ultimately a crime that Dicky kind of freelanced on, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he's the one that set that up. That's very upsetting to Mags. We do have some indication, I think, in that episode that um, that there's kind of a division within the Bennett clan and that she has a much bigger plan. Uh, and I think that bigger plan is what I want to talk about next, if you're ready. I, I'm, I'm curious, um, what did, what, did you find that it made sense, like what, what Mags was trying to do? Did all of that come together for you? It all made very much sense to me because I've had a ton of experience in Kentucky understanding what coal companies do and how they do it. Um, but I'm wondering how, how much that meta storyline made sense to you uh, as an outsider um, to maybe these issues a little bit. Well, just practically speaking, what I get out of it is that Mags' territory is essential to Black Pike's plans to get to the tops of the mountains and start getting uh, new sites in place. That much is correct, right? That much is definitely correct. Okay, and so she, so she, she is standing in the way. She is being really aggressive about not letting anyone in Harlan County give up their, you know, you know, green light this, this operation. And Arlo Givens, his, his plot of land is along that path as well. They don't, they don't have the roads to get up to, to where Black Pike needs to be unless they have the Bennett's and Arlo Givens on board. Yes. And sort of her, what seems to be her meta strategy in terms of driving up the price for her, uh, for her land is she becomes a crusader in public against this project, period. Uh, because it isn't just their land that they need. They need other people to sign their land away so that they can mine out from underneath it or on top of it. Right. Uh, and so that, that is th- this scenario is a scenario that plays out, uh, with families in Eastern Kentucky or has played out. I should say it's becoming less and less prevalent for various reasons. Um, there used to be something in Kentucky called a broad form deed where a coal company could 
could basically get you to put an X on it uh, and it would give them rights to do whatever they wanted in your land uh, for time immemorial. They didn't have to specify specifically what they were doing or when they were going to do it. Uh, they could just you could just broadly assign a coal company the rights. So these coal companies would show up with more money than anybody in that area would ever have the right to think that they could get it once. Um, maybe it was only 40 or $50,000 a second. In some cases, it was probably only four to five thousand dollars. But they would they would they would obtain these rights and then they would just destroy the land. Um, And when Mags gives her speech about the spoil, uh, spoil is a term uh, that is sort of Orwellian or it's one of those kind of corporate speak terms. Uh, If you talk about spoil, what you're talking about is uh, Kentucky's congressional district in the eastern part of the state there being lowest among all congressional districts in the entire country for wellness. You're talking about like U.S. leading rates of birth defects. You're talking about incredibly high rates of horrible diseases like black lung and asthma. You're talking about water that you can set on fire uh, when it comes out of your taps or it's orange. Like you're talking about incredibly high levels of chemicals that have no business being near water. That's what it spoils. It spoils lives. It spoils uh, jobs. It spoils uh, just livelihoods. It spoils the environment. It's a really devastating process. And what Mags Bennett is doing is saying, we need to stand up against these coal companies. They're ruining our lives. They ruin our villages. They don't care about our workers. They don't care about our people, blah, 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 blah. She's really being a populist and, and a- a- advocating for the cause. But what she's doing behind the scenes uh, is she's getting all these people to essentially give them her proxy. And then she sells them out. She absolutely sells them out, which is why we see uh, the Bennett sign on her on her store eventually being painted over. So it says Benedict. Right. Uh, and she's made this deal at the expense of everyone else when they thought she was doing one thing. It's, it's like uh, I said, her own benefit. It's, it's for her. You know, she she I believe that she loves Harlan. You know, I believe that she loves where she's from. I believe she feels the culture. I believe that that's all very important to her. But nothing is more important to her than family family first yeah. and it's the Bennett's first. And I think also, I think you said that like her, her deal amounts to something along the lines of 3 million bucks. I think she also had, she argued for a percentage of the company that owns black Pike. That's right. That's so, right. So we're talking probably about considerably more than $3 million. Yeah. And, uh, I, and, I, and I think that, you know, what she's possibly uh, losing in terms of bringing, uh, you know, physical ruin to, to Harlan, uh, to, to bring, you know, this, this terror upon, upon her land, the, the types of things that you're describing. I think maybe she's thinking is going to be offset by the fact that the Bennett's are going to get this certain amount of money. I might be vilified for it, but my son Doyle is going to, you know, go, he's going to be legitimate. He's going to pick up the pieces. He's the future. He's going to find some way to put that money to good use and, and be great for our legacy and do great things for this land. And I think that that's probably what she's thinking at that time is that she doesn't mind falling on the sword necessarily as long as in the long run, uh, the Bennett's are the ones looking like, uh, you know, coming out kind of squeaky clean in in the history books. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's a story that uh, as far as criminal enterprise goes, um, we've seen told repeatedly. Joe Kennedy did it with the Kennedy family. Uh, we see it play out as we, we talk about the Godfather. That's essentially what Don Vito Corleone wanted for Michael Corleone. He wanted a different kind of life for him. Uh, he gives a famous speech where he says, you could have been uh, senator, governor, you know, I, that's uh, that's what he wants. That's what he wants his his kid to be. And um, Mags probably wants Doyle to be, you know, Governor Doyle Bennett or, you know, uh, Senator Doyle Bennett or whatever it is. She wants to think big. She's thinking big. And, and it might and, not even be 
Doyle Bennett. It might be Doyle Bennett Jr. Or That's exactly Doyle right. Bennett the third. That's exactly right. And she's thinking long term. She's thinking long term, and she she has a long term view about the environment too. Well, at least. That's what she espouses, whether or not that's actually true or something she tells herself. She basically says, your company will come in, you'll do all your damage and you'll leave and we'll still be here and we'll outlast. And we will, you know, when you're long gone and the memory of you is long gone, we'll rebuild and we'll fix it. And I, the, the problem with that is that that is just not when you cut the top off of a mountain, you can't put it back. Right. Like that's the really unfortunate thing. And they cut the tops off of the mountains to get minute amounts of coal in the long run that they could have gotten by hand, but it's, it's very difficult. It would be very costly. So they just come in and blow the top off the mountain and scoop it out. And they, they it's, it's stated in the season. They knock the rocks down into the, the creeks beside them and they ruin the waterways and it just goes on and on and on. So it, Mags, I don't know what her long-term plan in terms of, of that was, but I do agree with you that I think her long-term plan in terms of her family was this is a world changer, not just a life changer where I can maybe obtain like 50 grand that I wouldn't have had originally and buy a different house and be happy or have a bigger house or, you know, buy something for a family member, like a wheelchair or something that they really needed. Uh, this is something where she, she can do whatever she wants. Yeah. Uh, and, and taking a piece of that company, which was really important to her, not Black Pike, which she'll know is something they'll set up as like an LLC that will immediately go bankrupt for all the lawsuits that arise and for all the damage that they cause. She wants the parent company, yeah. the one that they can't get at. That's all. That's very smart by Mags Bennett. And that's the sort of place she's after. And I really, I, I think that, uh, I think that that spoil speech in that episode is so good because she's, she's espousing those things uh, about what she believes, but she's also playing just a hint of, I don't believe any of this. Like this is all put on. Right. Uh, and I think that's all really, really awesome that she does there. It's a great plan. You know what, what, what she's, I mean, it's an evil plan. It's, right. it's a dirty plan and it's not going to be good for the people of Harlan if it goes through. Uh, but it's, it's, it's pretty genius, especially if she's looking at the long view, if she's, if she's feeling like I can take the hits, I can take comfort in knowing that in, in the history books, uh, this is going to be good for my family. In the, in the grand scheme of things, this is putting the Bennett's on the map. Um, and I, I think that all of that is well and good. Again, a little bit of an overreach because she doesn't anticipate a couple of things. One of the things being that uh, her son, Dickie, is going to overreach himself. You know, uh, she's going to ultimately give Dickie the, the pot business uh, and just let him let, let him run that. She gives Boyd everything else because Boyd is, is the guy who makes it possible for Mags's deal with Black Pike to go down because he brokers Arlo Givens' uh, place, place and everything. And the deal that he wants out of it is he's in control of all crime in Harlan. He's the kingpin, everything except pot. And pot goes to Dickie because pot is always going to be a Bennett thing. And Dickie is very insulted by this. Dickie is left with nothing else. He's not going to touch any of the Black Pike money because Mags is going to give it all to Doyle. And Dickie, yep. Dickie basically comes at Boyd. Uh, and because Dickie is definitive beta male, uh, he gets his ass handed to him by Boyd. Uh, and that's going to cause all kinds of problems between Boyd and Mags that are going to, you know, feed into her downfall. The other piece of it is, even before that, is that one of her sons is going to die. Uh, Coover gets killed. He, uh, you know, 
it, it, it all stems from the overreach with Loretta. Loretta figures out that Maddox has had her father killed. Because uh, Coover keeps the watch. Because Coover keeps Loretta's father's watch. For and, no reason. And it's not even just that, like, she, she notices that Coover is wearing this watch and that it looks shockingly similar to her father's watch. But then she, she goes later that night, uh, tries to, to poison Coover uh, with, with a big fat doobie. Uh, and tries to, to rummage around his trailer while he's passed out, uh, looking for the watch. And when she finds it, it's, you know, it's got the engravings that, that prove that it's her father's watch. And now she knows definitive, definitively that her father has been killed by the Bennets. Uh, Coover is, you know, super awesome at smoking weed. So he is not, he's not put to sleep. He sees through the plan. Uh, and he, and he tries to kill Loretta. Uh, you know, he, he tries to do it. And, Dickie ends up confessing to Raylan because Loretta and Raylan have this great relationship where Raylan has told Loretta, anytime you feel like you're in trouble, anytime you need anything, you call this number and I will drop whatever I'm doing and I will come and I will protect you. Uh, and so she find, Loretta finds out about her father, calls Raylan. Raylan is on the case. Raylan is on the hunt. He beats the information out of Dickie as to where Coover has taken Loretta. And this long-standing, this season-long feud between Coover and Raylan, because these guys have come to blows. They've been fighting a lot. Coover is this big, dumb animal who just, uh, no disrespect to your brother, Antonio. He's just this, he's this big, dumb animal who, uh, who, my brother, my brother is not entirely Coover, so no disrespect okay. uh, necessary. So he's, so he's it's just a funny connection. He's just this giant. His guy. name is Coover. <laughs> it's he's actually this <laughs> Coover Bennett. His name is actually just Coover. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, and he's just name, a, he's and a, your name is secretly Dicky. Speaking of which, isn't Coover? Isn't the character? I mean, I we do yes. this all the time. Yes, yes, yes. The, the guy who yes. plays Coover. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It. All right. All right. That's fine. You can say what you were going to say. No, no. I, I I go ahead. You tell me what I was going to say. Yes, he is. Uh, the guy who plays Coover is that guy from that other show. And the guy who plays Dickie Bennett is also that guy from that other that, show. That island show? Yeah, that Survivor? show. Survivor? That, no, no, not Survivor. The other one about the island. It is, it's neither here nor there. Okay, that's uh, fine. Yeah, that's true. It's, it is neither here nor there. It could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. In time, possibly, oh, as well. That's not, okay, all right, all right, all right. We're going to get down that rabbit hole. We don't want to end up there. You know, Wigglerville also moves in uh, time and space. Uh, is that true? Yeah, we serve a pizza called the Frozen Donkey Wheel. That's, uh, it's got like sha- <laughs> shaved, uh, shaved frozen donkey meat on top oh. if, you, if you take the pizza for a spin the uh the whole the whole town just shifts you can you, you only eat it once uh yeah well you know if you, if you ate it you can't like go back in time and not eat it whatever happened happened anyway oh, okay right. uh so yeah so raylan and coover have this crazy showdown where raylan ends up shooting and killing coover so uh not not only is mag's going to put into motion these events with dicky that are going to cause conflict with boyd that are going to cause conflict with boyd versus mags but also we're going to get um you know this this terrible tragedy in the Bennett family, and it's going to put things in perspective for Mag. She's going to be a grieving mother. Uh, you know, she she thought of Coover as a as a bit of an idiot always, but you know, she's he's still her son. You know, she loves her son, and her son is now gone. And I think that that leaves her in an emotionally vulnerable state that she was not prepared for. And when the people of Harlan are starting to get righteously angry at her for what you know, the arrangements that she's made with Black Pike, she's, I think that maybe she had been prepared for that to happen before Coover died. 
And now Coover's dead, and now she is just, you know, she's already wrecked by that, and now she's wrecked by this. And I think that it leads her into thinking in some, in some dangerous ways that she's going to overreach, that the Black Pike deal is going to go away, and she can just reclaim her, uh, her criminal enterprise uh, that, that she had struck the deal with Boyd. She thinks that the, that the Bennetts can just go back to the way things were before the Black Pike deal, because it does leave the table. Uh, and she's wrong. It's not going to work out. She's she's made her bed and now she's going to have to drink a fatal glass of apple pie and lie in it. Yeah. And that it's really it's sort of um, I think it's earned like er- earlier in the season when Coover sort of missteps and has been cashing McCready's Social Security checks. Uh, the marshals come the marshals get onto it. They see the signatures don't really match up and they start investigating. It's got a great little hook with Arlo where Arlo storms into the office and hands Raylan like some amount of money that isn't $20,000 and angry. He's like, well, uh, do you want anything more from me? I'm done. You know, like right. it's just very upset about it. And Raylan said, Raylan gets a little info about it, about who might be able to forge checks and things like that. And then, Raylan gets further down the rabbit hole and ends up talking to Coover, like you said, and they end up head to head. Um, Mags ends up very upset about this because she doesn't want Raylan poking around into their business. Uh, and, and what ends up happening is she busts Coover's hand up. Yeah. Big time. And she tells Dickie, the only reason I'm not doing it to you is you're already crippled. Yeah. So it's like she's doing damage to two people, one physically, one emotionally. Uh, and those two, the response to that damage, uh, their fight or flight is that they're just going to continue to to regress and they're going to blame Raylan for this, for these actions. And they're going to want to come at him even more. Uh, and that's going to ultimately lead to Coover dying. Like you said, it's going to lead to, to Dickie almost dying, um, being choked out and not quite dying and, and having the issues that he has yeah, they're, they're, they're coming at boyd as well they try to get to to boyd through ava uh we we have this um, i love this scene the scene where dickie and coover come to ava's house and they're trying to threaten her and like coover's like holding this big bag of like an of an animal yeah in, in the bag and like threatening to do something uh with it to to, to hurt ava and then ava just like shoots it yeah. And Cooper's like, no, you killed Charlie. <laughs> it's, it's so brutal. Uh, yeah, it was hard. probably a marmot, I would think. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it was. Uh, we do not serve that meat in Wickerville. I can that's promise good. you that. Uh, but that that scene is amazing. Yeah, it leads to this whole, you know, it it, it culminates in what this uh, this final episode of season two is called, Bloody Harlan. Uh, you know, it's it really is just... Uh, blood spills throughout all of these families, and because Arlo has gotten into bed with Boyd, now that now that there's this alliance between Givens and and Crowder from from Arlo's side, it, the blowback affects poor Aunt Helen, who gets killed. Yeah. Uh, in in for me, when I was watching this show the first time through, uh, the death of Helen was the first enormous shock. I was really surprised that they killed that character off. Um, now it's kind of hard to imagine justified with Helen, you know, going back and rewatching these episodes and, and seeing the Helen character and just remembering how much of like a tough old bird she was and how much of a badass she was and how much she meant to Raylan and, and Arlo, uh, even, even when she didn't get along with both of them, really, uh, how much she meant to Ava, you know, and just like the presence that she had on the show in these first two seasons, I think was, was fairly huge and equal with, with Arlo in, in my mind in a lot of ways. And she just gets yanked, uh, because Dickie comes 
comes and, and shoots her, shoots her dead. Uh, so all of these people are dropping on, on all sides of the aisle. And I think it's, it's the death of Helen that really sucks Raylan into the nexus of this thing, of this, of this brewing blood war that's going to spill between Crowder and, and, and Bennett. Uh, and now Raylan really has to get involved. Yeah. And, and that's all, I mean, that's all really true. And I think it's kind of a testament to Jeremy Davis that, um, I I buy it. Like I, Dicky Bennett is this weak sort of like I said, weaselly kind of smarmy, like weird kind of uh, weak talking guy, and he pulls the trigger on on Helen, no problem. Yeah, I, and I buy it. I mean, yeah. I buy it. It's it's gut punching, but it's it's not something where I'm like that that wouldn't happen. No, he he gets he goes to a dark place because of how he feels persecuted and and how that ends up. Uh, I'm I'm interested in uh, and he's, this character is the epitome of you can dish it, but you can't take it because he he will have no problem pulling a shotgun on you. Uh, and then when someone drags you out into the into the middle of the woods in the middle of the night and has a gun to your head, as Raylan does to Dickie in the very next episode dickie is gonna cry and like ugly cry his for his life you know like oh yeah that is he really does beg for his he's life gonna, he's gonna snot-nosed cry and beg for his life and then he's gonna be saved because raylan's not that kind of guy at least at this point he's certainly not that kind of guy where he's gonna just shoot dickie in cold blood uh and dickie's gonna have his life saved and then he's gonna go on to keep being a bit of a shit uh, yeah, he shoots, he shoots Ava in the Ava. chest. Yeah, he yeah. shoots Ava in the chest in the very next episode. Yeah. And in that same very next episode, he strings Raylan up by his by his leg and starts beating him with a baseball back as vengeance, as payback for what happened to him as a kid. Uh, and then thanks to Boyd and uh, thanks to Boyd, Boyd coming in and, and getting Raylan out of that bind. It certainly looks like Raylan is about to allow Boyd to kill Dickie and Dickie immediately goes back into ugly crying mode. He's the biggest weenus on the show that we've seen at this point, I think. Uh, certainly the most prominent weenus at this point. Uh, and he's just this sniveling little bastard. And yeah, you don't see too many murderers, uh, cold-blooded murderers, uh, turn on that ugly cry. Like, that is not a, a characteristic of people that are that cold-blooded. Like, he's truly it's, manipulative. It's because he's, you know, he. this is a guy who's, like, lived up with it. He's, he's grown up with examples of people who are who are who seem very strong and powerful all around him and he takes the wrong lessons like he sees just like like the 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 willingness to to do these things to just shoot people to pop people in the head to pop people in the chest to shoot people that's what it takes to be a tough person uh he he has none of the you know he he can't compensate for that stuff by being equally willing to take a bullet himself when you stick the gun in his face he's shitting his pants yeah Uh, so he's he's just an enormous coward we haven't seen a coward like that on the show in such a prominent way, I think up to this point, I think that he's, you know, we've certainly seen uh, cowardly idiots along the way. I think Winona's husband, Carrie is a big one. Uh, oh, but, yeah. but, but I think that there's some, there's something just like deeply cowardly and really pathetic and sad about Dickie Bennett to the point that like you, you feel sorry for the guy more than you hate him. Even after all the things that he does, uh, at least I do. I, I don't hate Dickie Bennett at this point in the show. I think that he's just a miserable, pathetic little leech. Uh, and I'm not surprised by him at all, ever. You know, there are a lot of characters on this show that surprise you. Dickie Bennett never surprises me. So, so, and I think that was an excellent, um, 
I think that's an excellent summary, and it made me think about a similar yet slightly differently painted character, and the, the slight differences make him entirely different, and that's Arlo. Um, this season for Arlo, it, 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 we talked about early on where he's on a tether, then he brings the money back, and he's trying to get out of this deal. When when ultimately what happens, the reason Helen gets killed is that Arlo gets involved with Raylan's drug dealing and or with Raylan's just – play against the Bennetts, not necessarily drug dealing, but, uh, not Raylan, uh, Boyd, Boyd decides to rob the Bennetts, uh, and has a crew with him. One of whom is Arlo. Uh, and Arlo is recognizable because he's old. And even though he's got a mask on, he's got a gate about him that Dickie immediately pegs. And so Dickie comes looking for Arlo. Arlo's not home. And that's when Helen gets killed. And so Arlo's response to that is amazing because he blames it all on Raylan. It's all Raylan's fault. He knows exactly why it happened. He knows he got made. He says it on the show. I think Dickie made me, but yet he blames it all on Raylan. Like, well, what happened is you came around and started killing one of her sons. And of course, this is what's going to, you know, he's going to take it out on your hand. That is absolutely not what happened. But Arlo has no problem throwing that at the feet of Raylan, which is amazing. Well, he's he's certainly got cowardly tendencies himself, Arlo. But right. I, I, I think that... um. But it's different, I think, how it, it is. manifests. It is. I think, I think the difference is, like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, a, a PG-13 way of putting this. It's difficult coming up with the words. But, like, but, but Dickie is really, he's, he's a weenus, right? So he, yes. he's, like, he's, he's this weak little weenus. He's flaccid. Arlo's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Arlo is, Arlo is a dick. Yep. Arlo's, yep. Arlo's a dick. And yep. he he has no problem fucking you over, right? Pardon my French. Yeah, well, I you're getting in some interesting metaphors here, Josh. Uh, well, I'm pa- I'm painting a picture. <laughs> Tell me more about what goes on in Wigglerville, and, and this sir. picture is hung up in my office in, <laughs> in the mayor's office in Wigglerville. Oh my god, uh, it's the town seal. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah, it is. Uh, but no, you know he he is certainly he's got his cowardly tendencies, <gasps> but he. I, I think a defining difference between Dickie and Arlo is point a gun in Dickie's face and he will he will crumble and cry and beg for his life because that's the absolute last thing that he wants. He does not want to leave this earth. No matter how miserable and pathetic he gets, dying is worse. And he he never wants that. No, don't do that to me. Whereas Arlo, I don't give a shit what you do. You know, like yeah. if you if you wave, go ahead and pull the trigger. Yeah, if you wave a gun in Arlo's face, he'll just he'll just look back at you and and give you give you crap. He'll you know it would probably be his preference not to die, but he also kind of you know does doesn't care. He's an emotional coward. It's less about him being afraid for his <laughs> life. Think back no no further than the episode in season one where he's at uh you know at at the bar for for the veterans and he's just sitting there when the guy is threatening to blow up the whole place with a grenade. He just sits there and he's like, "Well, I want my drink." You know, so he do, he doesn't care about dying. That's not the concern. Um, I think he's deathly afraid to to own his emotional failures. Yeah, uh, I think that's I think that's right. You know, Although that's, that's the gun that you wave in his face and he's not going to cry, but he's going to do everything he can to resist owning up to that stuff. What's interesting about this uh, this season uh, is the second to last episode, Reckoning, when 
Boyd or when Arlo's kind of when Raylan ultimately puts him in a cell and and when Arlo's saying things like the, the the years I spent with Helen were the best of my life like no disrespect to your mother or whatever he says to him you know and it's like um he's really he's sharing emotions but you get the impression that he's sharing just enough to to manipulate Raylan into doing what he wants him to do yes. and that's what I, I I mentioned this in our first podcast about uh, the you know the show as a whole one of the things I love about Arlo is he does he is usually one or two steps ahead of Raylan in terms of he understands how to manipulate Raylan he understands how to move him Raylan may get the drop on him sometimes from a judicial standpoint like Raylan may be on to maybe ultimately takes him down but Arlo's usually scheming ahead of Raylan and usually Raylan cannot ultimately verify Arlo's final purpose Um, and that's that's really tough Um, and I think that that I really love the way that that plays out in the second to last season Um, there there's a lot of there's a lot of good um, he Raylan essentially gets Arlo booked um, and and gets him thrown in jail so that he can't interfere with uh, the with with Raylan going after Dickie. The second to uh, last episode. The second to last yeah, episode. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and that all plays out like that. And it's it's really it's really interesting because Arlo has essentially given Raylan a tip that will help him, but then Arlo ends up in jail, uh, and and then Givens, you know, Raylan goes and and basically says to Arlo. Uh, hey, go back on your deal. If you go back on your deal, um, then we can have leverage against Mags, and Mags will let us know where Dickie is, and we can do that. And Arlo doesn't want any any part of that. Like he doesn't want to let that money go. Right. And it's uh, then Raylan punches him. Like he straight up punches his dad, which is crazy and awesome. Yes, yeah. So then Arlo is kind of on board a little bit, but he he's kind of uh, he just kind of he's always you just never know what with what with what's happening. You never know if Arlo is truly what he's truly doing or or why he's doing it. Um, so it, it is very interesting that he ultimately does play ball with Raylan in that second to last episode. He goes in there and he figures out where Dickie is. Uh, and then he gets that kind of, he gets that kind of uh, drop on him, uh, which is, uh, which is unusual. I did not expect Arlo to ultimately play ball with Raylan, but he did. Yeah. Um, so this all ends very poorly for a lot of people. Uh, the, the Crowders come out mostly okay. Ava's got a bullet to the chest. That's not great. Uh, but otherwise, you know, they're still going to be criminal kingpins that they're, they're going to walk out with, with what they want. Um, Raylan loses his aunt Helen and Mags loses everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, Doyle's going to get shot in the head. Uh, I don't know if that's by Tim or not. It's by some kind of sniper. I like by to some think Marshall. it's by Tim. We got to say it's by Tim. I like that's to say it's good. by Tim. Doyle's going to get shot in the head uh, right in front of Dickie, who's going to be devastated by that. Uh, yep. Coover's already gone. Mags has lost the respect of everyone in her town. She has one surviving child. She's about to get carted off to jail. So she, you know, she she takes her her own way out, uh, which is uh, through uh, through a poison glass of apple pie. Um, it was already in the glass, which is, you know, it's it's amazing. And, th- and that's the, the final the final moment of the season is is her death with with Raylan, you know, nursing a, a gunshot wound of his own, sitting across from her as she dies, holding holding her hand. Um, 
And I, it, it's such a contrast to season one, which kind of left things sort of open-ended in terms of where's the show going to go next. Whereas this season, you know, really starts this trend of the seasons are going to be about stuff. Uh, you know, like season two was the Bennett season. The, mm-hmm. the you know, aspects of the Bennett's will carry over, uh, certainly to season three. You know, Dickie is alive. Uh, Jeremy Davies will go on to win an Emmy for what he does in season three. So if you're a Dickie fan, look out for some good stuff with Dickie. Uh, but, uh, you know, in terms of all the stuff with, with, with Mags, like, you know, I, I was kind of surprised that she was, she was such a strong part of this show. And it's such a, it's such a strong creative decision to cut that character, you know, to, to cut the character that is clearly so, so good. So, so fun to write for it. So, so fun to watch come to life uh, in Margot Martindale's hands. Uh, you know, a, a, a truly Emmy-worthy performance. And then she's gone. Uh, what do you think of the writer's decision to, to cut the Bennets down this way? Do you think that it's, it's the right call? Yeah, I mean, I of course I would prefer to see this sort of thing linger. But I also appreciate that uh, this show has stakes. You can't raise the stakes the way they do uh, throughout the course of this season. And and there's one point where Raylan tells Loretta, like, I, I poked a hornet's nest last night. Like, and it's probably going to come back to bite me. But if you ever find yourself in a bad spot, like, you give me a call. And right. and I, I don't think you can kick hornet's nest the way this show does and have realistic characters the way this show does and not have – that come to a head if you I, I think you fail when you keep people alive that shouldn't be just because you like their performance um, all the time I think you have to have stakes and I think the Mags Bennett stuff makes sense it's it's sort of the the kind of tragedy that you would see in like a five act play or, or some sort of uh, historical uh, form of drama like that uh, where you would see there, there are there are legitimate stakes, and when the stakes get raised, and when things happen, there is falling action. There is, con- you know, there is resolution, and so I don't have a problem with that. Of course, it is interesting that all of them went down except Dicky, uh, and so they they kind of I think I think found a way to have their cake and eat it too to an extent. The cockroach survives the nuclear blast. The cockroach survives the nuclear blast is a perfect way to put it, and of course because Dicky shoots Ava. Um, you're going to be on the lookout going into season three, and this is not spoiling anything. Uh, he's going to be a marked man by Boyd because Boyd he came. Be happy about that. He came at Ava, right? So there's definitely an interesting story there to tell, and some very fun stuff to play out that they can leave by leaving Dickie alive. But I don't think you can have Max Bennett uh, have what happened to her happened, uh, and have there be no consequences. And I think that she probably was making a big move. We talked about how. She sort of alienated herself from whatever town she was in, whether it was Bennett County or Harlan or wherever it was, uh, by selling out kind of her friends and neighbors. There's a great scene where she's sitting in a restaurant uh, and some guy comes up to her and basically says, Offers condolences for Coover first. Yes. And then he's like, you're a bad person. You're horrible. And she she just says, oh, man, she really comes back at him with a lot of fire. And that's a great scene. But it shows that she and, and so does the painting on her business show that she's really alienated herself from the people that are around. And when she loses her family, she doesn't really have a reason to continue. And I think the big reason for that is Loretta. Uh, when Loretta really kind of gets her to admit that she killed Loretta's father and she realizes that she's not going to be able to like primp Loretta up and give her bows and brooches and the sort of things. I mean, Mags makes mistakes throughout this season. Some of her mistakes are she doesn't, she lets her stupid kids do the wrong things. But a lot of them are the favoritism that she shows to Loretta. That makes Coover very angry. 
Um, that puts Coover and Dickey in a position where they kind of feel like jealous of Loretta and they're willing to come at her, put themselves in positions where they jeopardize her, which of course puts them at odds with um, Marshall Givens, which of course puts the whole family's situation in jeopardy and kills a couple of them. So those are Max makes some mistakes here. And like I said, they're they're somewhat emotional, her weaknesses. And so it makes sense that they're human. The, the human element of Mags would ultimately come back to bear uh, and she would choose to end herself in sort of this very poetic way, considering how the season began. Antonio, uh, that's why the show is so good, because it's it's a very human show. Agreed. There's so many blunders along the way. Yep. Things don't work out perfectly for just about anybody, despite their best intentions, despite their most carefully laid plans. Things fall apart because that's life. Very, now, very human. And the mistakes that are made by these characters from from the, the deepest, dumbest depths of Harlan County to the to the smartest people on the block to somebody as intelligent and razor sharp as Mags Bennett. Things fall apart because these people are human and they make human choices. And uh, sometimes human choices are very bad. And I don't I don't think we can finish a talk about season two without talking about something in that direct vein. Which is what do we make of what happens with Winona in this season and the money? I know. Well, we got we got to talk about that. I was also going to say that, you know, we're an hour and a half into this thing. We haven't talked much about Raylan's story this season. Right. And I, I think that a lot of that is because the Bennett stuff is just so freaking interesting. And the, and the Boyd stuff is so freaking interesting. And Timothy Oliphant as Raylan Kivens is always a great watch. Always a great time on television. Always a great character. But I just don't think... His journey is quite as interesting as these other journeys that, that we've talked about. There's aspects of it that I have uh, a lot of interest in, in fleshing out with you further that I, that I think that we are about to do. Uh, but I think also there, there is this stretch of that. Like he kind of suffers from Marshall syndrome a little bit this season, uh, where, where that stuff just isn't quite as interesting as what's going on in Harlan. We talked about the Rachel episode. I actually like the episode where, where we see Tim uh, shoot the guy in the apricot. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's the that's the uh, the prison guard baby one, right? Yeah, it, uh, it's yeah, it's the prison guard baby one. I think the episode is called "The Life Inside." It's the second episode of the season, and Tim shoots this this guy in what's called the apricot, which is where the brainstem meets the spinal cord, and when you hit that, it lights out instantly. And the guy is like, "You really expect me to believe that he can shoot me?" In the, and then Tim just shoots him right in the in, just done. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, like that that stuff was really good. So there's there's always you know some good Marshall stuff going on. I really like the the episode episode where where art uh and herschel from the walking dead are hanging out i thought that was a, i thought that was a fun one as well uh and that and that's associated with with the with the bank robbery stuff uh with with winona stealing some money um and i and i do think that you know i i you know gun to my head i would say for blood or money is the worst episode of the season but i think the worst storyline for me is winona stealing money yeah i don't like it I don't, well, I don't really feel that it, that it amounts to anything worthwhile. I feel like it's a distraction. I agree. Well, then actually, I, there's one thing worthwhile that, that it amounts to, which is a strain in, in Raylan's relationship with uh, Winona to a degree, but mostly with Art, you know, with his, with his father figure, uh, with, with his boss at the Marshal Service. 
Yeah, and I think that I think that the interesting thing to track possibly throughout the course of this season and we can uh we can see it without spoiling where this will ultimately end up. But we see the beginning of Raylan's story this season is that his Miami boss does offer him his old job back like we said. And that doesn't come to bear. Uh Raylan doesn't want it. He wants to stay around in Harlan. Maybe it's because of Winona, uh maybe it's for other reasons. We see some of that then play out throughout the course of this season. He and Winona's relationship does progress they start talking about like you know moving on uh, she's left Gary Gary's coming at Raylan and wants to kind of take him out and and actually <laughs> tries to do that and and it's all of those things are happening to Raylan um but it's all about sort of his relationship with Winona and then somewhere midway through the season that all gets thrown into some kind of crazy um mix because Winona just does something truly it doesn't make baffling. a lot of sense to me. Baffling. baffling. And I think if you're going to level any criticism that we talked about in early one of our podcasts, we talked about how the female characters on this show are so well drawn and very interesting characters. But here we have somebody who ultimately is like, well, I just I just broke up with my husband and you're back in the picture and I'm so confused. You know, I'm so emotional. I'm a woman. I had to steal that money. And it's like, I don't buy the motivation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think I think this show is better than that. Yes, completely. And and that's what it comes down to is that if that's why it happens, I think the show is better than that because I think Winona is better than that. I think they paint her better than that. I think that moment of weakness doesn't make a ton of sense. And I almost wonder if they didn't necessarily know how to arc out the season between the two of them, uh, because I think they do a better job of that in, in, in later seasons is all I'll say. I think that they, the, the conflict that exists or can be created between the two of them doesn't have to come from an external force like her stealing money. Uh, it can come from the natural way that Raylan is or chooses to be in the situations that he's in or puts himself in versus what a family man should do or somebody who really cares about their partner should do. Uh, Raylan is so self-destructive in many ways and jeopardizes his own life repeatedly for questionable reasons that I don't think you need to create conflict between Winona and Raylan. No, you don't I think... Be- I think what's, it's there. Yeah, I think what's great about her is, you know, she's this high mark that he has to to try and and live up to because she lives life on the level. And right. and she says to him, like, you know, she I, I feel like, you know, her big crux is like, I would I would totally commit to, to being together again if you weren't just constantly putting your life in danger. Uh, and I feel like this storyline kind of takes a little bit of the moral high ground away from her. And I, and I don't know why we need to. Not to say that Winona has to be a perfect person. It just feels a little out of character and it feels a little out of touch thematically with what they're trying to do with Winona and Raylan. And, you know, we talked before about how this show is so great because there's so much humanity and so much human error. Uh, and this is obviously a moment of human error for Winona, but I think it's more a moment of human error on the writer's part for me. Yeah. And, and we, we don't, you don't get the sense that she wouldn't have necessarily put the money back. Uh, the situation, of course, is that she's actually taking one of the bills to a bank uh, to get it checked to see if it's even counterfeit. Well, what does she even have, you know? And, uh, and the bill it turns out is taken from her as part of a bank robbery. And then later it pops when the money from the bank robbery yeah, is recovered. This, this two episode distraction about this story that whatever. 
Yeah. And that, and that's, that's what I mean. It's like, I don't, I don't, and, and look, we're only talking about season two here. We, we, we're, we're staying spoiler free if you've never seen the show. So of course we're talking about this storyline in the context of season two only. Um, maybe it comes back. Maybe it doesn't. We're not going to tip that off, uh, exactly how it might or how it might not. Um, but in the context of season two, especially, uh, it just, it causes a distraction and that's it. It's a little bit of distraction, uh, but but I do think that the good that comes out of it is is you know Ray. I, I think what the writers needed is they needed Raylan to do something legitimately dirty. Uh, you know he he protects Winona from this because he loves her. He helps her you know put the money back uh, illegally. He's you know he's aiding in crime. You know it's not you know blowing some guy's head off. It's not like shooting some guy. It's not, you know, killing anybody, but he's committing a crime here. He's assisting in a crime. Uh, and, you know, I, it certainly tugs at him, uh, you know, just on his own, just, you know, having to cross that line. But I think where it really gets him is that, you know, art finds out. And, and art doesn't do anything because, again, it's not like the worst crime ever committed, especially because they put the money back and everything like that. But art sniffs it out. He figures it out and basically just says to Raylan, it's, he's a disappointed father. You know, he says, yeah, you basically, you know, you are who you are. And uh, it's not what I wanted you to be. But obviously, this is who you are. And, uh, you know, I understand you better now. And uh, I know what to expect from you more now. And Raylan doesn't have like a good rebuttal because it's 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 a lot actually similar to what Raylan has galvanized in Boyd to a bit. You know, kind of this this idea of you're exactly who I expected you to be, and that manifests in Boyd, and, and Boyd proves that he, uh, you know, whether he always was who Raylan expected him to be or becomes who Raylan expected to be is a, is a matter of debate. But I think it's a similar situation where Art basically draws out of Raylan, you're dirty, I get it. You know, you're good at some stuff, you're very not at other stuff, you're my problem until you're not because you're probably going to get your yourself killed. With the, yeah. way, with the way that you act. That's a really rough conversation. And it's, it's, sure. it's really rough. Uh, and I think it's, a, it's another interesting counterbalance uh, between, between Raylan and Boyd. Uh, just this, this contrast between how they deal with that kind of information of somebody that you respect, somebody that you care about, telling you that you're, that you're bad. Uh, it makes me, so there's, there's this quote from this other show about a, an island that moves in time and space. Uh, where a certain character says Gilligan's Island. Yeah, where where a certain character, where the professor says to Gilligan, uh, this this poignant line that is, uh, "See, kids are like dogs. You knock them around enough, and they'll think that they did something to deserve it." Uh, and I think that that's that's the thing with with Boyd is he he reacts to all of this external pressure and comes out of it as a bad dog. Uh, Raylan is is now being kicked. I think by somebody else that he respects, by somebody who he sees as being on his same level, he's really being kicked for the first time in a long while. Uh, and that tests him, I think. And, and that pushes him to the point where I think you, you kind of believe that when Raylan drags Dickie out into the middle of the woods and basically it looks like he's going to shoot him for what he did to Helen, what Dickie did to Helen, uh, you kind of buy for a minute there that Raylan is in a mental state where he could do it. Uh, of course he doesn't, because this is Raylan Gibbons we're talking about, at least in this moment in time. Um, so I, I just, I find that to be an interesting contrast, and I think that that's the one good thing that does come out of the, 
the Winona storyline. I wish that they had a better way of getting us there, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a cool emotional place to, to bring Raylan. Yeah. And, and that is true. Um, and, and especially because I, I think that that episode where that, where art really calls him out and, and, and beats him a little bit up is, I think that conversation is at the beginning of the episode. And I was like, wow, holy crap. Like that's kind of a major conversation between the two of them. Art has always really looked out for Raylan and always really kind of protected him and taken care of him uh, against outside forces like ADA Vasquez in season one uh, and against people that were threatening him earlier on and trying to protect Raylan from himself is a lot of what Art does. And at the beginning of that episode, Art's just like, I'm done trying to protect you from yourself. Yeah. Like, you know, I, 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 you know, that thing that never happened that we don't talk about, we're right. not going to talk about it. Um, but you're a really terrible marshal. You're a good lawman. Like you have the right moral code most of the time, but you're really bad at following the rules. Uh, and if you do what you're going to, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do. You're not going to be my problem for very long because you're going to get yourself killed. And it's like, wow, like you don't care care about that art like that's really pretty rough yeah that's terrible it's horrible for him to hear and you know raywin puts on this tough guy act all all he wants but he like everybody else is human and he uh i think he really craves some paternal acceptance and he's never going to get it from his real dad but he he gets you know he, he he wants it from his boss he wants to at least know that if nothing else he's good at his job uh and now he's being told that he's bad at his job uh, and that's a that's a pretty devastating thing for him to hear right here. Yeah. Yeah. Especially from what we talked about is definitely a surrogate father figure for him. Uh, somebody that he is sort of the flip side to the Arlo coin, the lawman um, with the code that he's has kind of stuck his neck out for Raylan and, and kind of took him on because he remembered him from Glencoe and remembered that he could be good. And they had a good thing going before. And he thought his ties to Kentucky would be an advantage, not a disadvantage. And so some of that is Art's mistake for sure. And Art has taken Raylan on. But Raylan's had the opportunity to leave it behind and he hasn't and he won't. So that's all. It, it all does play out very interesting. I I just don't like the damage that's done to Winona in order to advance that. Yeah, because I actually think that the love story between Raylan and Winona is really hot this, yeah. this season. Like, I, I think that their chemistry is awesome. I think that they, they do. I, I would co-sign with you, Antonio. I think that they have chemistry in a way that Raylan and Ava did not. Right. Uh, I, I think that there's there's something about uh, Natalie Z and, and Timothy Oliphant who are just uh, they, they really connect and, and it's really fun because she's she's very funny. She's obviously beautiful, but she's smart. She's very funny. Uh, she's really well written. She's very snarky when she wants to be. And you just you see why she's a match for Raylan uh, in, in every sense of the of the word match. And and. I, I do think I think the bank robbery stuff just weakens it a little bit, not enough to to over to overpower the performances and and where the the stuff ultimately is going. But in the moment, that that really does take me out when when Winona uh, steals that money. The big thing with with Raylan and, and Winona is uh, we should we should pop some champagne. They're they're gonna have a baby. They're going to have a baby. So this is a big deal. So Raylan, uh, we talked about this a little bit in, if not in the, the last podcast, then in, in, our, in our first podcast where we talked about Justified in, in the long view, uh, is in Elmore Leonard's original story, in, in Fire in the Hole, uh, Raylan is written as having an ex-wife Winona, and he also has two kids with her. Uh, that is not the case on the show. He does not have children, but he's about to. He's about to have a kid because Winona is pregnant. Uh, and, you know, with, with you know, parents and children being such a big theme on Justified already, I think it's a, it's a really interesting idea to start 
going down that path of what is Raylan going to be like as a father? Can he be better than Arlo? Can he be worse than Arlo? And I think that these are all uh, new wrinkles that he's going to have to examine as the show starts moving forward from this moment. Yeah. And, and how, what kind of decisions is he, is he going to need to make knowing that he has a child on the way? Um, so that, yeah, and, they're and, talking about going to Glinko and maybe they could get, you know, remarried because that'll be away from all this violence and action. Right. Maybe he's going to need more money. Maybe he's not. Maybe like, he'll move out of the motel room at least <laughs> where multiple people have been killed, shot and killed. Yeah. So, yeah, there are there are a lot of things Raylan needs to do if he's going to prepare himself to to have a child. And um, he's certainly not been in the position that you would want to have the father of your child be in. So that's definitely something to put a pin in and, and look forward to in season three um, specifically. And then and going forward, how that's going to play out with Raylan. So in, in in other shows, when you introduce a child into the mix, sometimes it's to try to really spice things up because the show's gotten stale. I actually I actually think introducing a potential child into the mix here with Raylan uh, opens the door to so much from an emotional and character standpoint uh, because this is not a show that's going to bring the child in and have it age up three years and just make wisecracks. Uh, this is a show that uh, is going to really show the, the toll that that's going to take on people as they have to prepare themselves to welcome that life into the world and what that actually represents and means. Uh, and especially for someone like Raylan who has such daddy issues uh, with Arlo and the way they play out with art, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what confronting fatherhood means to him. Uh, and this is a show that won't uh, that won't uh, short shrift that. I don't think if we if we look forward to season three and beyond. Um, well, well we're, let's we're, let's look forward to season three. Unless there's anything else from season two you think we need to talk about, I think I think we've covered the majority. No, I think I think we've covered it pretty well. Uh, um, I think we've we've really hit the major arcs. And uh, R.I.P. Mags Bennett, man, oh, what yeah, a, what yeah. a great single season run. I know it was really good. Uh, well, set us up for season three because as of recording this, I'm only I think I'm only three or four episodes into season three right now. You are finished with season three, right? Finished with season three. All right. So, yeah. so tell tell us in a, in as vague a sense as possible uh, what we can expect from season three as we start to look ahead at that next season. We talked a little bit about how the the Dickie Bennett loose end um, with regard to Boyd specifically uh, is something to look forward to because, of course, Dickie took a shot at Ava. Uh, the question is like what's happened with Ava? Like, where is she going to be from a health standpoint? Uh, where is she going to be in terms of Boyd? Is she going to blame him? Like, uh, if she's even around to do it, like how, how that's all going to play out. So the Ava, Diggy, uh, Boyd story, um, and, and how, how that all look, you know, looks forward, uh, going forward will, will be interesting. There's obviously a power vacuum, in Harlan, uh, with the Bennett's gone, uh, and all the business that they had. And, and, and uh, we, we forget that there was a power vacuum when Boyd, when, when Bo Crowder left that hasn't seemingly been filled in what seems to be a fairly short time period here in season two. So there's this huge, huge criminal power vacuum in Harlan. Uh, and the question will be like, how does that get filled and who's going to be looking to fill that? Uh, and we also just talked about how, uh, the Raylan character, what's going to play out ultimately with him now that he's got a baby on the way, now that he's got a boss who doesn't really trust him anymore and who isn't going to think of him as like a golden boy who's like the head of his office. Um, how will that manifest now that, that Raylan's sort of on the outs with his boss uh, and is sort of in a situation where he needs uh, he needs support because he's got a family on the way and things like that? And and what, what position is he going to put himself in? Um so that's all very that's all very big for season three. Uh, there are some notable guest stars on season three. 
Uh, I don't know how much you want to tip about that, but uh, I, think, I think that's fair game if you want to tease it a little bit. Yeah, we we have. Uh, if, you, we have if you don't want to hear about it, you could probably shut off the podcast now. Let's let's tease some of these guest stars, though. Yeah, we've got uh, Neil McDonough comes in and is kind of a very interesting outsider. He's not somebody who pops up like Max Bennett, uh, who has been existing in the kind of universe the whole time uh, and who is a name that you can kind of pull out and say, oh, the Bennett's, they're big down in Bennett County or whatever. This Neil McDonough is not from the area. He's sort he is, of an outsider. He is another. He is another. He is raised by another. Uh, he comes down and he is uh, – He's a he's an interesting cat. This character that he plays, I don't want to. It's not dumb, dumb Duggan. Let's put it that way. He's he's one of my favorite Justified characters. You really like you really like uh, Robert Quarles is the character that he plays. You really like him, huh? I'm a huge fan. <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic. <laughs> he's fantastic. He there's so much interesting stuff that goes on with this and character. He's, he's he's not what you expect. No, and and from you know not just from maybe what you think of the actor Neil McDonough, who's who's incredible, with Band of Brothers, you know, so many great credits to his name, uh, but steps in to a character appears to be one way, and basically every time you see him, it just changes in ways that you were not thinking it was going to go. No, this is a great character, and uh, and it. I interviewed him uh, this season for season three of Justified. Oh, really? Yeah, I had I had like a forty minute phone conversation with him, and it was one of my favorite interviews I've ever done because his enthusiasm for that character, understandably infectious. Uh, He loves this character. Well, I think they knew they'd up the ante with Mags Bennett and and with Margot Martindale. I think they knew that they had thrown down a pretty clear gauntlet. And I I think they also put themselves in a position where they were probably able to land someone like Neil McDonough and and really get kind of an an interesting, like a meaty role out there. And uh, among other things, without revealing anything about his character, some of the interesting things you're going to get from him is the outsider's perspective to all of these characters that we've come to know for two seasons. People like Win Duffy, um, people like Raylan Givens, like people that we know a one way here, we've got an outsider and, and his kind of thoughts about them remarks on them. The way he sees the world through kind of outsiders eyes uh, is very funny uh, as well as just also being interesting. I mean, there's a lot of humor in this character and the way he relates to things. But, man, there's a lot more than humor uh, going on there. Oof. Uh, so, so he's the outside force that kind of becomes prominent in Harlan next season. But there's also an internal force that, that we had not heard much or anything about that now becomes a player as well. Yes, yeah, so there's uh, McLeddy Williamson, right? And uh, he plays a character named Elston Limehouse, and he's not uh, he's not shrimping. Uh, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this is this is of course the guy who played uh, who, paid, who played Bubba Blue uh, in in Forrest Gump. Uh, but he's you know he's obviously been on so many other great things. Didn't he play a role on Twenty Four at some point? Oh yeah, he's the CTU director in season eight. Yeah. yeah. So I, I know he's had some uh, some some Josh Wiggler credits, some crossover into some stuff that you really like. I I remember seeing him on um, Twelve Angry Men uh, when they did the TV movie of it, and I thought he was fantastic. Uh, he's he's obviously he was, got, he was also on the show Boomtown with Neil McDonough. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't see that show. Yeah. That uh, maybe I'm going to have to check it out now. He's he's had some great credits. He's obviously Boomtown did not last long. No. Boomtown, I think, lasted That's uh, a season. Probably, but it probably was, aptly named that. But it was created by Graham Yost, who's the guy at the top of Justified. Of Justified, sure. So, so, so uh, Neil McDonough and McKelty Williamson, they both came to Justified because they wanted to work with Graham Yost again. So 
on uh, a, a uh, that means Boomtown is worth a watch. It, it was it was really good for for as long as it was on, and B. I would I would say that that should excite you in terms of these actors who are such great actors were asked to come to the show to work with a guy that they liked working with, uh, which means that everybody's going to have something very fun to do. Yeah, and McKelty Williamson Williamson really gets um, he gets uh, some some meaty things to play with. Uh, let's just put it that way, and, put it and, that way, and not not just to play a pun. I mean, I he's got he's a great actor. He's got a great speech at the beginning of a, a film that I really like called primary colors. That book, that was like the insider campaign book about the Bill Clinton uh, campaign. Uh, he's got a great speech. He gives at the beginning of that film that just, this guy's got a lot of range, a lot of depth. He can bring a lot to the table. And this character that he plays, Elston Limehouse is sort of a, he's an insider outsider. He's not uh, he's not somebody that comes from outside the world, but he's somebody that you can understand maybe why you haven't really heard of about him until now um, because he sort of insulated himself uh, and for various reasons uh, against kind of what's gone on with the criminal enterprises there. He's, he's sort of somebody who would have been a natural outsider, obviously, because he's, he's black and he wouldn't necessarily fit in with someone like a Boyd Crowder uh, on a day-to-day basis. But he also has um, maybe some other reasons for insulating himself. And so we'll see exactly how that plays out. Uh, it, I, you know, that, that is, uh, that is some, some really uh, good things to look forward to about season three is you've got two pretty big guest stars that have their own sort of stories and arcs um, that definitely play a role and are, are pretty key for how season three develops. Yeah, it, it might be a controversial thing to say, and maybe my opinion will change when I'm done watching season three. But my memory of it is that I actually prefer season three to season two. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't think it's that controversial having just recently rewatched because there are things in season two that are, that are so, so, so good, uh, that I can understand why people just think, and, and I've thought in the past and probably still think, High, higher heights, but lower lows. And I think that's right. I think that the stuff like, uh, the one-off episodes that are a little more prevalent in season two, uh, than season three, um, the stakes are, are, are kind of higher in some respects, uh, in season three because like of these season three is more consistent. And I think that's right. So I, I think if you like season two, you're in for another great season of Justified. Uh, if you didn't like season two, I, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Well, well hopefully we're going to be talking, Antonio and I, about season three of Justified pretty soon. Certainly within the next two weeks of this recording. It's December 23rd as we're recording this. I'm going to try and, and, and get finished with season three, but it is holiday week here. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, and then I am away the week after. So I'm going to I'm going to do what I can to, to get there in time. But if not, we will be back. Uh, in two weeks we're gonna we're gonna see what we can do here i'm really eager to talk about this season it, this was the first season of justified i watched live season three so it, it holds a special place in my heart for sure uh antonio anything else or is it about time to wrap this thing up i think that's about it josh uh, unless you have anything else i think we've covered it all i guess if we missed anything definitely let us know in the comments at postshowrecaps.com we really didn't plug our website or, or, or anything at all josh I, I we did a poor job of that eh, what are you gonna do postshowrecaps.com plugged plugged Claimed. you can you can hit josh on twitter he's at round howard is that like a ron, ron howard but rounder yeah more spherical shape to ron yeah howard. and then i'm at ac mazzaro that's a-c-m-a-z-z-a-r-o two z's one r and you can definitely tweet at us about this show um if you're re-watching along uh or if you're not if you're evergreen and you're listening uh, in the archives thank you for listening um give us some comments 
on the page at postshowrecaps.com on the show page for this one. Uh, we will definitely have a show-specific feed for this show, I believe, uh, once we really get a little further, hopefully yeah, by the next few, couple episodes. A few weeks from now. I a few say. weeks from now, yeah. So we're, we're going to set all that up. We'll give you the information about that when it shows up. But other than that, I, I think we're I think we're pretty pretty much done Do you here. have a hashtag for the episode for anyone who's made it through two hours of us uh, yammering on about Justified? I don't. I don't have one. Do you have one? Yeah, come on down to hashtag Wigglerville. Hashtag uh, Wigglerville. That's one G. Let's get that right. Yeah. W-I-G-L-E-R-V-I-L-L-E. I, I'm kind of one. I want to know if there's anything already with that hashtag. What if we, we might have a good idea. Oh, here. God, that would be dark. <laughs> you don't want to go down that wormhole. Come uh, on down to Wigglerville. Yes, well, co- come on down and join us again in Harlan County uh, as we talk about Justified Season 3 in the very near future. Take care, everybody. Bye. Cheers, everybody. Bye.